class. It's time we learned how to cook properly. You're going to get this test right, or you'll first learn firsthand how food is flambied. Licorice Whip, you're up! So uh, all I have to do is put some eggs benedict in the mint chocolate chip? I can do that! Cream of broccoli soup, get out of the fridge! You'll wreck the recipe! Uh, Golden Twinkie's right here and you didn't yell at him. You're mean! If you can't work together, you're all going to fail. Honey Nut Cheerios, get in there and help Frosted Flakes! But we already had liver and onions taking care of that part. Oh man, now I have to start working on lemon escargot. Uh, could be worse. At least you're not stuck with blueberry waffles from three days ago left outside. I'd almost rather have sugar cookie again. Did someone say cookie? Mmm, raisin cookie, peanut butter cookie, chocolate chip cookie. Me want all! Well, class, since someone forgot the word not to say, I guess we'll just have to pick up with the magic studies again. <gasps> Strap on your swords, ready your spells. You're about to enter the heart of a dungeon filled with computer and console RPGs from way back when, right up through yesteryear. To get you through this maze that's dripping with danger, we've gathered the best men and women from RP Gamer to watch your back. Some of you have never entered this area before. You're in for quite a fight. For others, this return visit can only be described as an RPG backtrack. And here are the party leaders for this expedition, Phil Willis and Mike Minky. And welcome to the hot and sexy RPG backtrack number... 69. <laughs> you know what 69 means, you naughty people, you. It means we're going to talk about the Magical Kingdom. I am your host, Phil Willis, and this is... Someone who has been to the Magical Kingdom, but what he's inferring never happened to me there. <laughs> what, what do you think makes it magical, Mike? I thought it was the really long lines and... The overwhelming heat, no matter what time of year you go there, and uh, the fast pass so that you can wait in line with fewer people. And all the caffeine you end up drinking while you're waiting. There you go. And so that voice, well, no, wait, the other voice. Well, one of those voices is our good friend and co-host, Mr. Mike Minky. How are you doing this week? All right. All right. And then we have uh, this other guy that you heard, Mr. Michael, bake me something good today. Like, I haven't heard that one about Mm-hmm. And, well, I was going to tell you that I was thinking of you all week, because I've been playing, my mother insisted I play Smurf Village, you know, on my iPad, and there's a baker Smurf on there, and he bakes yum-yums. So. What jobs aren't available in Smurfville? I don't know yet. I'm I'm only up to like four or five jobs. I'm kind of a newbie Smurf. I'm a I'm noob Smurf. And Phil, you brought up the Smurfs. Does that mean you saw the movie last year? No, I did not. Thankfully, immersively, I don't see the chipmunks. I didn't see the Smurfs. I didn't see any of those. 
I'm uh, I'm spared those gruesome, agonizing tasks because I'm not married to somebody who insists that I see them. However, maybe yes, this lady, if I was married to her, she'd want me to see them. It's Miss Sam Marshmallow. I would never torment you with that, Phil. Did you rush out to see it? Oh, hell no. <laughs> My nephews tried, though. <laughs> well, as long as they tried, that's what's important. They tried and said, Auntie, don't play that way. <laughs> so, Sam, when I was ten, I saw The NeverEnding Story Part 2. And I knew even then, it sucked hard. We got, uh, we got a lot of things lined up for our listening audience today. We're going to be talking about Magical Vacation and Magic Star Sign. Followed up with our Blast from the Reason Past segment, we'll be talking about Monster Hunter Try, Record of Agorist War, Near and Harvest Moon, Hero of Lee Valley. And then we'll wrap it up with our thoughts, your comments, emails, and more with the final lap. But first, we're going to cut to this commercial break. We'll be right back. You're the best around. Nothing's going to ever keep you down. by doing our import corner segment first since we're talking about two games that are closely related to each other one's an import one's a domestic release we're going to go ahead and start off with the with the import since it came out first we're talking about magical vacation developed by brownie brown i can't say that with a straight face and we got michael baker on the show <laughs> <laughs> Who develops the developer? <laughs> the baker! Brownie Brown. <laughs> okay, alright. Developed by Brownie Brown, published by Nintendo. <coughs> Sorry. <clears throat> this is uh, this was published in Japan on December 7, 2001 for your Game Boy Advance system. This is a single and multiplayer RPG experience. Alright. So, <laughs> who wants to talk about spirit combos and amigo systems <laughs> and and settings in faraway kingdoms uh, called Kovo Maka or whatever. Well, first, you want to take it first or shall I? Nintendo Power. Nintendo actually advertised this one in Nintendo Power in America before they decided not to bring it over. Yes, which accounts for why on RP Gamer's very old news sheet, this was listed for a North American release, which never happened. Yeah, I know. My brother was actually looking forward to it at the time. Oh, well. They love you. Not the first time Nintendo has promised something that didn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> so, James, where should we start? I guess you should go with the story more, because you almost certainly got more out of it than I did. Okay, so once upon a time, there was a little school of magic with a whole lot of students, a whole lot of different types of magic, and they decided to go on a field trip. And they went on a field trip to a place where the headmaster of the school knew that there was going to be trouble. 
because he's basically baiting a trap. And everybody fell in. Oh, well. Have fun. <laughs> that, that, that's actually part of the story. Uh, about three years before the story starts, there were a couple of students who disappeared at this beach. And um, they're still trying to figure out why. And they allowed another field trip to go so that they would have a chance to investigate the matter. Which explains a couple of conversations that Jim didn't understand in the school. So that's how we start. It's kind of fun. Yeah, I definitely picked up the part where everybody's on a school trip and suddenly these ugly little creatures called the Enigma pop out of another dimension and suck them off. Yep. Wrong choice of words, June, but yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that wasn't even deliberate. Wow. Ouch. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, no one deserved to hear that. Nope, no one deserved to hear that. That was dirty. Yeah. Come on, Jim, how could you? I mean, the, the cast age ranges from 16 to 11. But I... <laughs> something subliminally hit me. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, so yeah, so the Enigma attack during in the middle of the class trip and warp almost everybody on the trip to another dimension, except for the main character. The main character is the only one who successfully fights everyone off. Um, even the teacher gets taken away when three or four of the things jump her at once. And so all of the classmates are scattered across um, two separate dimensions. Actually, I think just the first dimension originally, and then they end up getting into two or three different groups, and one of them crosses over to the second dimension before everyone else. So. And then a couple, well, the guy who ends up with the last boss finds his way to the third dimension. Yeah, he, he's kind of lured there. That's um, Ganache. <clears throat> His sister was one of the ones who disappeared three years ago, and so he's still trying to find her. And he's also, um, he's also got issues with his own magic type. Um, some of the events that towards the beginning of the game when he's still actually in your party um, freak him out a bit when he, realized, when he has to come to grips with the fact that his magic is only good for killing things. Yeah, this is yet another of those games that teaches you darkness is bad. In this dark case, dark element is evil. In this case, the dark element can rip somebody's heart out. That's a little more intense than some dark versus light showdowns, at least. Yep. So that's how the Enigma actually get to him. They first they promise him that they can tell him where his sister is, and second, they promise him that they can help him understand his own magic better. And okay. as for your other classmates, wow, there are a <laughs> lot of elements in this game. Was it 16 or 17? 17, right? 16, I think. Oh, look, I've got the manual here. Let me count. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. Okay, let me get the manual out there. Which page was that? 34. And they're not just your standard things like water, lightning, fire, wind. Not all those. Yeah. yeah, we've got all those, but we've also got more interesting ones like ancient, which obviously should be opposed by modern, but modern is nowhere to be found. But ancient, in this case, would be almost like aging or time. So that's why it gets rid of fire. Okay. Yeah. And there's it's poison, a... and there's wood, and there's blade. Blade and beauty. Yes, which yeah, is not beaten, which does not beat down ugliness, oddly enough. Nope, but it's, it's kind of funny because the um, the kid who, um, who has the blade element magic, Cassie's, is re always really weirded out by the kid's beauty element. <laughs> and just for 
just for kicks, when they're both teleported away, they end up in the same general area and they have to put up with each other for a while, even though they hate each other. See, I missed that entirely. Yep. And, of course, there's the, the heart or the love element. Yeah. yeah. Which just does healing. A lot of healing. Oh, yes. Pesh, you kind of really need her because she's the only character who can heal with her magic. So what? which ones have we, have we not mentioned? Okay, there's also bug, tree, and beast magic. I think we mentioned poison, stone. Wind, but... fire, ancient, lightning, water, and sound. Oh, yeah, sound. Sound music, sound magic, yeah. So, yeah. There's another one that you don't see too often. So every one of these elements has a student attached to it, except for light, which is a teacher's element. And isn't that just nice because, of course, most of the enemies near the end like to use dark. Yeah. Well, you could technically get light magic, but you'd have to really abuse the Amigo system first. Yeah, I read about this. Okay, the Amigo system that Phil mentioned briefly, in order to get Amigos, you need to link your GBA with somebody else who has a copy of Magical Vacation, and then you need to do a lot of trading. And I mean a lot of trading. And yeah. if you do enough trading, then you'll get access to light and dark magic when you choose your character at the beginning of the game. Which I would not recommend in any case, because the starting magic of the main character sets the difficulty for the game. Yeah, I set it at lightning, and the final area is still a rough place. I, was say, I think lightning was one of the middle ones, wasn't it? I thought it was ranked among the easy, but maybe I should have gone with flame. Because like, flame and tree are definitely the easy ones. And maybe I also should have gone with a girl for the main character just because her magic would probably have been stronger. I'm not sure if it actually does that. Uh, okay. Neither am I. I. That's one small issue with the game. Like a lot of early portable things, uh, this one only has one save file, so it's really hard to experiment on with different files. You, you need to pick what you're going to do and you need to stick with it. Pretty much. Uh, the last time I tried, I ended up choosing Blade, and um, I don't know, don't know how far I would have gotten if the Game Boy Advance hadn't given out on me at the time. Um, so. That makes it even harder to play. Oh, yes, it does. Okay. So, well, let's, let's talk about the classmates, because there's a lot of them. So. Yep, when every one of them matches up with an element, there's going to be a lot. Yep, but see, how many of them are actually human? One, um, two, four, the manual. Four, five, six, seven, eight. I think eight, because I'm not sure if Candy's human. Uh, the, manual's, the manual says she's human. She's human, but she has a rabbit nose. That just might be a quirk of the art. It probably is. And yes, poor Candy, who you do not get until very late in the game, and you have to beat an enigma that has possessed her, and she's at level 38 when you're probably about level 60. Yeah, this game could definitely have used a um, level up in adventure mechanic. But anyway, yeah, there, there's a lot of characters. There's a lot of races besides human. There's dog people, cat people. Um, Hesh is a cupid, apparently, which looks kind of weird. She's got huge ears. Yeah, what are, what are these characters? Uh, Oi no Taishi? That, am I reading that right? Which one? For Pesh. Pesh. Yeah, I'm just ah. reading Hiragana over the kanji. I know Taishi. It means love ambassador. So, That's an interesting race. Yeah. 
Or it could also mean, um, could mean angel if they added one more character to it. But yeah, Cupid, more or less what it means. Yeah, I've only heard of one meaning of Cupid ever. And pistachio is, well, what is that? Milk tug. He's a milk tug. <laughs> uh, yes, I did not put him back in my party after he left. Oh, but for, for something really funny, when you're choosing members to go to the next uh, next dimension, and everybody's talking, you can slowly see Pistachio backing away farther and farther. If you actually choose him at that point, he actually falls down on the ground. <laughs> just shocked. I should have tried that, but uh, half the time for the story sequences, I just get tired of trying to figure it out and hit A real fast. So anyway, so a full introduction to the cast. First we have Pistachio. He's the tree element guy. He's about 12 years old, and he looks like a dog. He is a dog. He's, I don't know, half terrier, half cocker spaniel, it looks like. And he's the world's biggest wuss. He can't even beat the training doll in the school uh, at the beginning of the game. So he's constantly afraid that he's going to flunk out, and he'll have to go home and take his family business. Uh, next we have Arancia, which... Um, I think that was Italian for orange. And she's the music major. Um, she plays pretty much everything in the music room. Uh, after that is the fire kid, Kirsch, which, can you tell me what Kirsch means, James? I once, once upon a time when I misread it, I thought it meant church, but that's Kirka. Kirsch is something entirely different, and I've forgotten what it was because I took my German over 10 years ago. Uh, it's supposed to be either cherry or cherry liqueur. Which is very much not church. And then, of course, there's Ganache. He's the dark type guy. He's named after a kind of chocolate. His sister's name is Vanilla. Uh, there's Pesh, the love girl. Pesh being tea. Uh, and there's blueberry. Hmm? And there's blueberry. Yeah, blueberry and lemon, water and electricity. Um, there's the robot, Cafe Olay. Who in this in the game artwork looks an awful lot like Mocha from Star Sign. They even have the same origin story. They're but uh, the headmaster found him in a flea market, bought him for like twenty um, twenty copper <laughs> coins. Seriously. And the, there's Cassis, who's the blade guy. There's Cedra, who's the art guy. There's Sesame, who loves bugs. He's a little creepy, kind of a creepy <laughs> little kid. Um, there's Chocolat. He's a mud man. Looks like a giant claw of birth. Cabernet is the poison magician. He's a he's a puppet. Kind of funny. Imagine an entire village of people who look like Pinocchio. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, in the game. Al yeah, it's in the game. Um, there's Olive, who is like the youngest person in the class, and she's or not or she's second youngest actually, and she's into animals. She just likes cute fuzzy animals. And finally, there's Candy, the wind character, who is who you don't get until very late. Yeah, she's she and Olive are both completely in love with Ganache, which is why she follows him everywhere. Um, yeah, actually, if, if you can read the game, they actually have a lot of fun establishing character interaction and personality at the very beginning. Well, yeah, based on what the sprites were doing and some of the tone of the text, and I'd also like to say to developers that. When you write your Japanese characters using a funny font, that makes it much harder for me to read them, which is yeah. what, as I recall, uh, Café Alley 
his dialogue was written in an odd font. Yeah, that's just that's a normal thing for robot characters in a lot of games. You'll see them written all in katakana and maybe some really kind of jagged stuff just to show that it's being pronounced weird. Makes it even harder for me to read, but maybe with practice I oh, get it. Oh, try reading any of the mother games in Japanese when Mr. Saturn shows up. <laughs> I remember that, actually. Apparently, Mr. Saturn's speech was based off one of the uh, one of the developer's daughter's handwriting. Funny connection is that Mother 3 was partially developed by Brownie Brown. Not surprised. It's like their style. Okay, so but yeah, obviously there's a massive food theme going on here. So this is the second game as well. It gets really weird. I mean, the, the teacher's name is Madeline, which is kind of donut, and the headmaster's name is Grand Drage, which is some sort of little chocolate candy. It just keeps getting sillier. Um, all of the all of the people in the Cupid Village are named after kinds of bread. All of the dwarves are named after types of sauce. Um, all of the mouse people are named after cheeses. And a lot of the town names are either food names or anagrams of food names in Japanese. I think Brandy Brown's people were having a little too much fun coming up with these names. Oh, yeah. Raiding the refrigerator. It's really crazy, yeah. Well, speaking of really crazy, the Mouse People's Tower. What, what do you have to say about that one, Jude? Well, I was following the fact because I took one look at it, realized, okay, there are a bunch of mice, and I need to present the right thing to the right one in the right order, or it all comes undone. Yes. Um, yeah, that's probably the, heart, the most reading-intensive section of the game, just for sheer playing. Um, so for, for the audience... In, uh, at the top of the tower is Cafe Olay, the robot, who has been converted into a cheesecake oven. And we have to go get him. And in order to get permission into the head cheese's office at the top, you have to go through this elaborate trading game where you trade stickers to my, random mice in the tower. And, um, and if you pick the wrong one, you'll trade the sticker, but you won't get anything back for it. Yeah. So the sequence is so, broken. Yep. So you have to you have to buy a fire sticker from the bazaar outside, give it to the guard in the front, and he tells you which one to go for. Um, he gives you a description of the masters. He tells you what they're doing. Maybe they're uh, well. It's in a set order. I can't remember the exact order, but like there's one of them who's just constantly walking around the table. There's one that's moving around like a frog. There's one that's just standing staring out the window. Um, there's, I, what, seven or eight of these things. Do you remember how many were in the actual sequence? Might be about ten. Maybe ten, going up and down across three floors until finally you get the sticker that you have to give to the guard outside of the head cheese's office. And then you can go in and liberate your robot. From his strange, bizarre fate as a cheesemaker. No, cheesecake oven. Oh, oh cheesecake oven. Yeah, they decided he perfect shape for another. Um, well, his, his head does look remarkably like an old-style oven. Yeah. Um, yeah, there was a, like a minor villain in the first part of the game. It was, it was an enigma disguised as a dwarf named Quattrofamaggi. And he, um, he was the, I think he was the one who sold the robot to the mice. And he was also the one who uh, was taking Chocolat, the mud man, away for something. I think he who's going to sell him to the dwarves for mining material. Like the that. Enigma are not very nice in general. No. 
Well, they are the element of death. <laughs> but seriously, that, that was what was up with the entire plane thing. Apparently, any time a new element is even conceptualized, a dimension will form to associate with that element. So the first part of the game is in the plane of light, the second part's in the plane of darkness, and the enigma comes from the plane of death. Yeah, and the plane of darkness really isn't that bad. Yeah, it, it's a little it's darker violent. than the plane of light, but you can handle it if you handle the plane of light. The afternoon and plane of darkness is constantly twilight. A lot of jungles, too. Yeah, but there, there are a few enigmas running around in there, but it's nothing like the plane of death, is it which is aptly named because you're probably going to die there a few times. Only a few? I'm, I'm being cautious. It, there's a definite jump in difficulty towards the end, <laughs> putting it mildly. Hey, Sam. Rem yes? Remember how you get gummy worms in Magical Star Sign? Vaguely. Well, you, you, you tap a gummy worm, then you, you tap go... tap a gummy worm and they appear. And then you fight something in the hole first before you get the worm. Yes. If you well, catch the worm first. Yes, the difference in vacation is that you don't automatically get the worm once you win the fight. You have to act really fast and grab the worm before it ducks back into a hole. And there are numerous passages in the last part of the Plane of Death where you must march through many gummy worm holes and you better be fast on your feet or else that one square you get to move will be blocked again because the stupid worm dug another hole. That sounds like so much fun. Oh, if, you, if we want fun, how about the spirit gathering stuff. Yeah. But again, no, in, in, magical, in Magical Vacation, you can boost a character, an element's magic by summoning a spirit onto the field. Um, this works for the enemies, too. And in order to summon more than one spirit, you have to keep finding more of this type throughout <laughs> the game. Except they have tons of random conditions for several of them. Thankfully, yeah, the some of them are, are easy enough. You know, just here, yeah. give me uh, some of the items that relieve paralysis. Okay, you can have them. Here, you join me. But uh, the beauty I spirits, I think, those were the nastiest ones. They well, the, say the blade spirits make you dump all of your gummy frogs, all of your healing items. Unless you have Cassis with you. Cassis. Yes. yes, like I told you. Yep, and I did have him with me, but I kept seeing that stupid thing. Dump all your gummy worms? Yes, no. No, screw you. I like my gummy worms. Without them, I'm dead. Yeah, but at least Cassius makes you makes him give them back. But there's other things, like uh, the beauty spirits will force you to limit the number of gummy worms you can hold and make you get rid of the excess, for example. Um, and then, and oh. The light spirits will not join you if you have too many dark spirits. And the dark spirits will not join you, will not even appear unless you've grabbed some gummy frogs earlier. Yeah, in, in order to get all of the light, dark, and love spirits first, to get the last light spirit, you can't have any dark spirits yet. To get, to get all of the love spirits, that you have to get them from specific events, and last few won't show up if you grab a certain number of gummy frogs off the field, which for the seventh one is any gummy frogs. <laughs> you can't pick up a single gummy frog off the ground for the entire game if you want to get all the love spirits. And for the dark Spirits, to get the final one, you have to get like 999 gummy frogs off the ground. 100% completionists, they have a rough job with this game. 
That hilarious. doesn't sound fun at all. Thankfully, none of this is necessary. Yeah, you can get by easily enough with just a couple of each spirit, or none at all in the cases of spirits you don't have in your party. Yeah, light, light and dark, you don't really need, unless you, unless you start abusing pro-action replay to get all the amigos, because there's no way you're ever going to get that many in real life for this game now, anymore. And hey, the final boss, wasn't that a trip? Yes. Yeah, after marching through all those gummy worms that you have to fight through one after another after another, you better be... Okay, I think I was level 58 or something when I fought the Enigma that had swallowed candy. And it is recommended that you be at least level 80 to face the final boss. Mm-hmm. And I had not been running from any fights. I had fought everything that came my way in the game. So that was a long, long slog. And then you get to a fight where Ganache is with the enemy and you cannot kill him. So you can't use any attack that would hit him. Plus there's an enemy part that will heal you, the enemies. So you got to kill that first. And then the, the final, final boss, well, it just beats the crap out of you real fast. Yep. There, yeah, there, there's an issue with balance, balance in this game. Although I feel like I should mention... This game has very low hit point totals for the enemies and for you. I don't think anybody, anything goes to a thousand hit points. They're all triple digits. True. But when you're only dealing mm, 40 or 50 damage and it's ripping the crap out of you with each attack, that doesn't matter too much. Nope. Hmm. Well... Looking online, this is a little tough to find. Uh, it's not available on eBay or PlayAsia. What's up with that? It's on eBay. <laughs> I've seen copies on eBay. Yeah, well, there ain't me, anything on there Let me find now. one for you. I could walk to any one of four stores in my area and find a copy if you'd like one. It's just, just a little old at this point. It's over, it's over 10 years old now. <clears throat> I don't know of too many stores that carry uh, Japanese games over here, though. Yeah, I see one cartridge-only copy on eBay that ended a couple weeks ago for twelve dollars. Yeah, but there's not. There wasn't. I was looking at current listings. Yeah, all I see for current listings right now are a couple of guidebooks. Yeah, nothing on. Um, nothing on my uh, Play Asia. Um, they yeah, they have a Magical Vacation. Five TSU no Haishui Ganamanagatakai for uh, for the Nintendo DS. Uh, that, that would be Star be- Sign. Uh, well, hmm, maybe that's a good segue. <laughs> well, we, uh, there are a couple other things we could talk about for vacation since Miss Marcello has ever so briefly departed us. She'll be back. Like the visuals are nice for this game. I'll give it that. It looks really good in, this, in a couple of spots, like that water palace. It's a very cute game, yeah. And that, what is it, the Rakuo? The the place where you need to, you're walking over transparent, starry backdrop, and uh, you need to not touch those stupid pots or else they'll warp your people out of the cave. I can't, uh, I can't remember the name of that place. Is That's not the, uh, that's not the, the optional dungeon. Not Dara No. This one, you once you finally talk to the last, star that was wandering around all of the pots had vanished and you got to talk to some dark spirit that gave you uh, whatever it was you needed to progress into the the death swamp or whatever the last stretches. I, I cannot remember the name. Sorry. 
Of course, uh, we forgot the, the other thing with the spirits, though. Uh, oh, the, the amplification? Oh, yeah, I mean, if getting all seven is really worth it since having all seven on the field at once equals a 128-time magnification of your spell. Um, that is really powerful, but that means you but, have to spend seven rounds powering it up. Either that or if you have your main character, a set, uh, the other character with the same element as your main character, and one of the magic dolls set to that element, the party, then you have three people summoning the spirits at the same time. That's true. I didn't use but, the magic dolls too much just because uh, they didn't level. They don't level. No, you have to keep equipping them with different stuff to improve. And since I had my main character as lightning, I kept Lemon out just because I wanted to keep my element base as broad as possible. So yeah, it, um, the only problem with the, the amplification bit is if there's a spirit of a type that's stronger than or strong against your element in, in the same battle space, then it will reduce the amplification a little bit. But if you use the spell anyway, you can use that. Uh, that will actually clear out the stronger elements, the stronger spirits. So if the enemy's putting out too many of those dark spirits, you can actually summon a couple of your own really quick, pop off a spell, and disrupt the dark spirits, get rid of them. Yeah, the more you learn about this combat system, the more it's like every fight is a mini tactical encounter, because you need to think about what you're doing, and your spells don't just go off. They have specific ranges, and the enemy is on a grid, and your spells hit certain areas of that grid, and you can choose to boost your own power instead of attacking immediately. Yeah, you, you really have to put a lot of thought into this battle. But then, of course, there are enemies, particularly, again, late in the game, that already have spirits summoned, so unless you take a chance, they might just use a powerful attack and blow you to hell and gone before you can do much of anything. Fun game, fun game. Yeah. Well, For the most game. part, it is until you get late in the plane of death when you just need to grind and grind and grind and grind and hope you don't die. So, how important is knowledge of Japanese in or in in the enjoyment of this game? Um, well, you kind of really need Japanese or at least a good hour, um, and the work guys quiz. Um, well, James, what's your opinion on that? There were only a few parts where I felt like I needed the fact to get along. Because I've played a lot of games in Japanese, and once you test a couple of the options in battle, you're usually good to go there. But understanding the story, well, that's another matter entirely. And most of the options in the menu are pretty self-explanatory if you've ever dealt with RPGs before. But again... It, this combat system is fairly complicated, and figuring out exactly what's going to go on when you try options is going to take a little more fumbling around than usual. So, oh, and if you don't know any Japanese, good freaking luck. <laughs> you, you definitely need to know your katakana and hopefully some hiragana, too, to figure out what some of these things are. Otherwise, you're just going to look at things and go, uh, item, do something, and then you hope it's the right thing. Well, maybe it's time to talk about a game that doesn't require a fundamental knowledge of deep Japanese language. And we'll do that. Okay. We'll do that after we come back. Enjoy this musical selection from our 
good friends at Brownie Brown. <laughs> continuing the discussion from before we are now going to talk about magical star sign still available by our good friends at brownie brown published here by nintendo this was released in japan on june 22nd 2006 later in north america on october 23rd of the same year this is a single and multiplayer rpg video game experience for your nintendo ds handheld system this is rated e for everybody and comes on one beautiful little teeny tiny cute Nintendo DS cartridge. Which I would like to say did not read properly a couple of times in the 3DS because the 3DS apparently has problems sometimes reading DS games. Thank you, Nintendo. Only happens once in a blue moon, but yes, it's true. <laughs> I'm, just, so, I'm just saying that from the perspective of somebody who'd been using the regular DS and never had a problem with it failing to read a game and, and uh, this... I will tell you, and, and, and this, is, this is definitely on topic for RPG Backtrack, because uh, a lot of us who, who do the show or listen to the show are uh, retro gamers, and uh, when it comes to playing, I mean, Nintendo DS games now are technically retro games, now that the 3DS has been out. Um, and uh, when I well, wait, play... Wait, Phil, I thought this new Pokemon was going to be on DS, not 3DS. It's a new retro Pokemon game. Oh, right, right, right. Okay. And it is a Pokemon game, so everybody knows how it plays anyway. <laughs> it's going to be the same thing. Um, no, um, I will tell you from uh, being experienced, very experienced with both systems, if it is better to play DS games on the DS for one simple reason. The 3DS stretches out the graphics, which causes fuzzifying of letters and other fine details. So when you're playing an RPG, I'll just pull off the top of my head, uh, Devil, Shimigami Tensei's Strange Journey, for example, you will notice that the letters on a 3DS <laughs> look a lot fuzzier. Um, Actually, Phil, I haven't had a problem at all with Strange Journey with that. It is. Tra compare them side by side, and you'll be I like, I will try oh, that, but I mean, yeah. I, I haven't seen any of the fuzziness I've, actually on any of the games that I've played so and, far. And to make it even worse... Isn't it, there a it, feature to change the 3DS nope. to display it in original mode instead of stretched out? Because if there I is, have black bars on the side of my top screen. See, so do I. If there is, I can't find it. I looked online. I got it right here. Uh, oh, and hey, well, I've actually got a 3DS game in there at the moment, so that doesn't really help. <laughs> um, but, no, I was looking all over, and I looked online, and there was a lot of people complaining about the same thing. And usually, if there's an option, usually a smart guy gets on there and says, Hey, you dimwits, you need to go into this option setting. I went in the option settings, I couldn't find it. Uh, but, yeah, everyone pull out their 3DS right now. 
and go and check it out. And if you can find that option, great. But uh, and then tell Phil. Yeah. Aside, yeah, yeah. And the other, the other reason was simply because my DS battery lasted a lot longer. Um, so, but yeah, I, I checked that out because I kind of, I kind, yeah, I kind of figure it out. Um, it was, it, I mean, it has to do black bars on the side because otherwise it would stretch it all the way out. It would really look dis, disproportionate. I wasn't having a problem with proportions looking right, but there was a, there was a about maybe a mil, a few millimeters off the top or the bottom that were pushed off the screen. So I was only getting like half the words at the top corner, which wasn't that big of a loss, but the fuzzy fine. I'm very particular about my my resolutions looking proper. Uh, I like my letters to be clear and crisp. So yeah, if there's a resolution setting to make it look like it's normal resolution, that would be awesome. Uh, anywho, we could digress. Um, so, uh, magical uh, star sign here. Uh, so a uh, Nintendo T DS touchscreen. I believe this is one of those games that utilizes the touchscreen to a degree, does it not? To a significant degree. <laughs> to a significant yeah. degree, yeah. So This is a very stylus-heavy game. Practically so, because you need to use the stylus for, well, the combat. So before we get into those mechanics, why don't you tell us a little bit about the plot? Anybody? Well, the, hey, remember Madeline sounds... from Magical Vacation? She's the teacher here, too. Well, the plot is almost very similar by the sounds of it to Vacation. Other than, I mean... At the beginning it is. The ending is... Very different, I realize, but... I mean, it's pretty much... The kids are at a magic academy. Yay. They're learning magic. Yay. One of the kids decides to steal a rocket ship. Oh, noes. You go find her. She's crying in a corner. You hug her. Adventure starts. She stole the rocket to go hunt for the their lost teacher, though. No, this is true. She had good who, intentions. <laughs> who, who you saw teaching you the combat mechanics and then immediately vanished. Yes, Miss Madeline ends up, unfortunately, being taken away. Because Master Kale is all like, Madeline will help me fix my plans. And then everyone will die. Um, and of course, Madeline doesn't want to help him. And she's kind of being forced. And all the kids are like, oh, no, Miss Madeline, we love you. We must come and save you. And but there are like, other bad guys serving Master Kale, like Master Chard. You know, the guy you fight three times who has the, the funky hairdo. I think that was Master Chard. Or Beak Fowler. I don't know any of the English names for these guys. It's okay, okay. Chard is just the guy you, you fight three times. I think that narrows it down. Yeah, and um, Beak Fowler is the martial art chicken, who, of course, in the English dialogue, has to throw a pun in almost every line. And then there's it's Gil Mudflap. The guy. Huh? There's also Gil Mudflap. He's a mud skipper. He's also the police officer. Yeah, he's the... Oh, yeah, Okay, is Gil Mudflap the guy you fight? Um, he's on Raisin. You fight him on Raisin, and you don't really know what happens to him after he dies. Okay, him. Yeah, there's, he was just randomly I was mistaking there. him for both the guy you fight on Puffoon, who led you on the runaround in the bureaucracy at the Space Police for a while, and with the gigantic grub-like thing that is constantly launched by his assistants into the air. The, the, everything about the villains in this game were just wacky. 
Alina, a lot of them were just like the first game plays on words with um, other kinds of fruit and whatnot. Um, one of them, for an example, brie potpourri. No, it's supposed to be cheese and a flower or cheese and an apple. I can't remember what it is. The rearrangement of this one. The Japanese name confuses me. Michael, help me. Which Japanese it's, name? For Brie Potpourri, her name is Najo Dorogu. Uh, I am wondering, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm off, but I don't know how they got Brie Potpourri, because I'm pretty sure none of those have to do with what, what apples. What was the name again? <laughs> Najo Dorogu. D-O-R-U-G-O. Najo. Well, the thing is, a lot of the names in this game were food names that were turned into anagrams, usually with ah. verbs. So, for example, the, the, the big bad guy was named Kale in English. Yeah. In Japanese, yep. his name was um, Jin Reo. And if you take that into Japanese and you spell it backwards, you get Orenji. Orange. Oh. Yeah. And a lot of the place names are like that, too. Like the, the fire planet was called. Um, if you ragu vafo or something like that, but if you spelled it all backwards, you ended up with foie gras. Oh, that's neat. Because, <laughs> yeah. like in the English version, they call it raisin or yeah, rosin. And it, yeah, and the way it's spelled makes it clear that they're trying to work the fact that it's really hot and it raises things into the name. Yeah. And Puffoon, well, gosh, Puffoon is the wind planet. Never saw that one coming, did you? I kind of wish they had stuck to the food names because I'd actually remember those. Let's see. Also, and, I have to wonder if Bree's father was named Knuckle Storm in Japanese. Oh, never mind. It's here on the wiki. John. I was wondering where Jonah Gold came from. Jonah Gold is a popular apple variety over here. Ah. Uh, so, yeah, Najo Doruga is Jonah Gold. Apple. Okay. Said, I don't know how they got free potpourri though. Yeah. It wouldn't be the first time Nintendo's translators just decided, eh, whatever. Yeah, that, they, that's pretty much what they did for all these. Um, Deke Fowler was D.A. Mariku, which is Kuruma Ebi, a type of prawn. Puffoon, the planet was um, Koton, which, if you allow for a, a resized symbol and you spell it in reverse, you end up with tonkotsu, which is a Kyushu style of ramen soup. Um, i to remember the rest of these. Oh, let's just hear. I'm so uh, hungry right now. <laughs> Me too. Um, I'm glad I ate dinner early. I'm hungry now. Michael's oh, yeah, making um, me hungry. The water, the water planet was, uh, was called Wigmaha, which is Hamaguri spelled backwards. That's the kind of clam that you can and uh, Grin was, uh, the tree planet was called Calpiter, which is, turns out to be tapioca, spelled backwards in Japanese. Ah. And then the, the light planet and the dark planet had the same name. Good to know. And there's your history lesson about Japanese anagrams, folks. Holy moly's. Yeah, they You're really not going to get that from any other source on the internet, I'm pretty sure. Now, some of them are listed on the wiki, some of them aren't. Actually, none of the planet joke names are mentioned on the, 
on the wiki, but a lot of the, most of the character names are. Well, like I said, I find it interesting, just um, a lot of these play on words. It makes more sense to me now than some of these English names do, in terms of, like, the aesthetics that the game is using. Because some of it went over my head a little bit the first time I played it. Um, but now, like, listening to this conversation, I, I feel like I have a better idea of what this series is trying to do. I mean, like, when I saw the character Mocha, for an example, I mean, I kind of knew what his play on words was like a mocha latte. Yeah, his original name in Japanese was Cafe Latte. So, I mean, and he was my favorite character. Yeah. And he is, he looks a lot like Cafe Olay in the first game. I mean, and then there was um, chai, chai and Sorbet, which I know what those are. But I mean, even sorbet had her name changed. Apparently, it was sugar in Japanese. Yep, and pico was pomodoro, and Lassie was jasmine. As in jasmine I guess tea. I guess they chose Lassie because she's a dog. Uh huh. She's a rabbit. Oh, she's a rabbit. She's a rabbit. Yeah, I don't and think there's a puppy person this time. Nope. Well, and, that, uh, that makes even less Lassie, sense. I've never heard of a rabbit called Lassie. No, Lassie is uh, is an Indian yogurt drink that's popular in. Uh, curry places over here. Oh. Yeah, it's a drink. And even if her name was still Jasmine, we also know that's a type of tea. Okay. I know this kind of goes off the subject again, but I've done some research, and I found out <laughs> about the whole DS, 3DS thing, okay? The DS, the DS screen is a 256 by uh, 192 resolution. 3DS screen is 400 by 240. So there's, uh, you know, from even since it's not since it's cutting off the, the the sides with black bars, all we're really concerned about is the 192 versus the 240. There's a there's a 50 uh, you know pixel difference, even though the screens are nearly the same you know height. So the the sizes of the pixels are slightly different. So yeah, in order to stretch it from top to bottom, there is some there's a small amount of distortion there. You're not going to notice it on a game probably like uh, Super Mario or New Super Mario brothers or something like that it's only on the the text heavy games that you're going to get some of that slight uh distortion and as such um in order to play the game at the native resolution uh on your 3ds screen you got to hold down the start and the select button uh and hold them down <laughs> while you press the uh a button to actually select the ds game you know from the main menu uh and you got to hold them down for a good like five or ten seconds till the game is actually booted up and running and then you're going to see it on the screen it's going to look significantly smaller however than it does on your normal ds so you're going to have the crisp and you're going to have the clarity like nobody's business but it's going to be smaller because the resolution on the 3ds is higher so I, I don't I, I I play Strange Journey at night and and so I got it like almost kind of in the dark and it's right there about you know a foot from my face and trust me I was noticing uh, at the at the native resolution that the 3ds kicks out I was definitely noticing a difference enough to where it made me wrinkle up my nose a little bit and being the graphics whore that I am and loving crisp clear text made me go out and grab my old DS again. But I, I, using this using this fix, I still wouldn't want to play it on 3DS because while it is now crisp and clear like nobody's business, it's also a lot smaller. <laughs> like you've got a good centimeter on the top of the screen. Uh, that's a black bar when you play it on the native resolution on 3DS. So food for thought. Go try that out with your 3DS today. Like I said, I never noticed it when I was playing some of the other uh, DS. It wasn't until I got something text-heavy like Strange Journey. Uh, I, I, I didn't have that happen, so I mean, I'll have to double check again the next time I pop it in. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely it definitely does distort though. 
Um, I mean, that's definitely on the, you know, that's on the articles and the forums and the whole nine yards. It has to because uh, it has to uh, uh, use interpolation or whatever the hell it's called to stretch it out to the size of the higher resolution 3DS screen. So there has to be some distortion, even if they do it really well. Anyways. Didn't the Game Boy Advance do the same thing to Game Boy and Game Boy Color titles? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 So. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I mean you get the, you get a similar effect if you're if you're uh, doing like emulation and or if you're just playing an old DOS game or something and you're stretching it on your screen, uh, depending on on what you're doing. Yeah, you're it's a similar effect. You just get a slight fuzzifying of 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 things that's most noticeable with with letters more than anything else. Um, so. Yeah, I don't normally. I'm not usually so much of a graphic file that I care. Normally, it was just because of the 3D. You know, because DS is already kind of a small resolution. Those letters and strange journey are so teeny tiny. Yeah, uh, on a normal DOS game or something, if it stretches it and pixelated a bit or fuzzified a little, I don't care. Oh well, moving on. Star sign. Yes, star sign. And Phil gave us a more you know rainbow moment. I was I was reading our I was reading our comments on iTunes, which I have to do once a year, and and there, somebody was saying that uh, they would appreciate it more if we had more information on the show, like some of those <laughs> do you know moments. So there's your do you know moment, I guess. For they probably meant the games we were talking about, but oh well, <laughs> I work with what I'm given. And I say we're just going to keep doing it the same way we've always been doing it. <laughs> because, you know what, I don't run this show, and therefore I can say whatever I want. Because <sighs> I'm not a nice lady. Hey, you know what? I, I tell you what, um, if somebody want, out there who's listening to this wants to be a research assistant for Backtrack and, and dig up interesting little-known facts about the games we're about to talk about, we would be happy to provide them with a schedule of upcoming games, and then they can prepare <laughs> notes and send them to me, and I will be happy to interject them in the middle of the show with my normal sense of humor and, and wittiness. So, by all means, email those to jcserverandrpgamer.com. <laughs> Actually, we always tell you what next show is going to be next, so by all means, feel free to leave comments or shoot us off emails with little-known facts, and we'll be happy to share them on your behalf. Okay. And, of course, you can always call Don't them Don't get thinking about the next show Yeah, We've got to talk about more Star Sign and the Space Police. <laughs> They're crazy. As, as, as I remember it, Star Sign actually had a, a bit more involved storyline. We thought about it because it had the several centuries' worth of backstory involving the like the gummy engines on the, the first planet and the, the way everything came together at the end. It was really weird. Yeah, each planet has its own species and yeah, uh, Erd, the Earth planet, which was, uh, what was it called? In, it was um, Hikarabita in Japanese. And there are a bunch of... what the joke was on that one. Uh, the, the wiki doesn't say what the joke was. Uh, Hikarabita. Yeah. There are a bunch. Of, there is a race of spiny moles on that planet, and you happen to find the ancient Diggy Claws, which just proves to the, these moles that you are the hero of legend, and they must do whatever they can to aid you. Go moles! They were so cute. Of course, the planet was colonized by the Estresa <laughs> civilization, which built all these these robots to help them build stuff and. Their leader ended up going crazy and forcibly converting the entire population of the colony into 
gummy thing. The natural energy source for all robots, as we all know. Yeah. I mean, gummy and, frogs, gummy worms are made of the same stuff. And I what? guess that was solved by the end of the game, because there's something dropped about how um, eventually these robots will run out of reserve power and will be forced to convert all living beings that they can come across into gummies to feed themselves. That was, that was actually part um, was actually supposed to be a, an upcoming problem when you revisit Erd later in the game and you actually find the gummy facility because a lot of it's been used up. And there was only one living gummy person there and she was the insane. Yeah, she just says something about please kill me, and then fights you, and once you have killed her, says thanks. But if, if you watch the the animation of the monster in that battle, though, it, it seems like part of her body is actually dragging her at you. We should have noticed that. I mean, uh, we'll like, we'll get to why you paying close attention to the bosses is difficult in a little bit. No, but I, I'm just remembering from last time I played it, whenever her hands form the huge like mouth, to try and grab you, the, the mouth actually dragged the rest of her forward. So it always seemed to me like she was trying to fight it herself. And it, yeah. Probably. That's a character that could have had more backstory. Easily. Uh, actually, her entire backstory was in journal entries that you could access through the computer in that same level. Oh, oh cool. of course. Which is actually how I found out about the entire back history of that place before I even ran into that boss. Another more you know rainbow moment. <laughs> and if, if I remember right, her last name was, uh, her name was actually Apple Pie, spelled backwards, rendered phonetically backwards into Japanese. Hmm. Really weird. Wow. Yeah. Again, Brownie Brown was raiding the fridge a lot during this development process. Also, oh yeah, the um, the leader of the Espresso Colony was I think his name involved Tart at some point. His name was translated into some sort of Tart. <laughs> and we have to mention the species of the water planet Cassia, which is a uh, Rigumaha oh. in Japanese. That species is a bunch of otters, and among those otters are a bunch of pirates which we get to beat the crap out of multiple times. That only, means, that only has significance to people who might understand why me, why beating up otters might be entertaining. But Not everybody understands that point of sarcasm and RP gamer history, my dear. <laughs> the right people will get it. True. And then there's Puffoon, which is home to the space police, and the lovely town of... Honey mint white caramel fudge flake with melty butter and syrup and whipped cream on top. Oh my god, that sounds so delicious and yet so gut-busting.
remember the name, Jim? Entirety? Here we go again. And no, I do not remember <laughs> it, but I'm I'm allowing Wikipedia to sub in for my memory because I'm not sacrificing any more brain cells right now. Honey mint white caramel <laughs> fudge flake with melty butter and syrup and whipped cream on top. And do you remember what they actually called it? Just honey mint most of the time. That's what I thought. <clears throat> it's it's the nature of people. They have to shorten the name. Unless there are old codgers in town who just insist that doing so is sacrilege. Or not quite be, sacrilege, but the same term for something secular. I'm going to be one of those people. You, you want to say the whole name every time, Sam? You're welcome Yes, because to. I'm also going to tell those whippersnappers to get off my damn lawn. And also that I want all the gummies. Because that's the whole point of this game. You're collecting gummies from every planet. Yeah, there are, there are a lot fewer gummy frogs in the wild in Star Sign than they were in Vacation. Maybe they're endangered. Maybe they are, because they're so delicious, and eating them restores your hit points. They're delicious and nutritious, and everybody should eat a gummy frog. I have gummy bears. Collecting them in this game. I have gummy worms and gummy sharks and gummy butterflies, but no gummy frogs. But yes, I mean, you're, you're still doing a lot of gummy collecting... I mean, every planet has a gummy, so you have to go collect it. Yeah, and this, then is, everybody this gets is after you've already been to each planet, but there were large stretches that you didn't see. So you go back in order to find the gummy and see what you didn't find before. Like the gruesome fate of the Espresso Civilization. Hmm. Or, or was that before or after this? I, oh, I can't remember now. I can't remember either. Yeah. Mm. It's been a while. No, uh, you, you, end up, you end up going to the colony because... Mocha's batteries are running out. That was fine. Yes. Okay. So I think, yeah, that was before the Millennium Gun thing. Yeah, you have to go help Mocha. And I, I <clears throat> don't know, did you guys play as a boy or a girl in this game? Um, I played as a girl. Boy. I, I, I was a boy. You played I as was a boy. Girl. I, I was a boy in Vacation, so I was a girl in Star Sign. So did you I, guys get your romance scenes? Because they're really cute. Because if you play as a girl, Mocha confesses that he, like, loves you and wants to hug you, but knows that you can't really be a couple because he's a robot. And it's, like, the cutest scene in the whole freaking game. I don't know how the other one goes because I didn't play as a boy. I can't remember that far back. I need to play it again soon. Well, isn't the romance option if you're a boy? It's uh, Lassie, right? Yeah, I seem to remember her saying something, but, again, I can't remember it very well. I just remember with Mocha, he gets upset because he wants to be with you, but he can't because he's a robot and because of the fact that he he's worried that, you know, his batteries are going to run out and that he's not going to be able to protect you. And it's just, it's the cutest thing. I mean, how many robots actually like, confess that they love you? Like, not that many. Like, that was the one big memorable scene of that game. I yeah, also, even Johnny Five never confessed that he loved anybody. Well... The one thing I'm curious about is you guys mentioned in Vacation that depending on which gender you picked and what power you picked determined the difficulty. I don't think that's the case here, is it? Doesn't seem to be. I chose light, but I... I chose the light, too. I chose dark, so um, I think it it might change your offensive or defensive focus early in the game. But otherwise, does does it change anything else, though? Um, the bad guy, Kale, in English. Okay. Uh, his, his native magic ability switches to the opposite of yours. Yeah, okay. That's what I thought. <laughs> All right. 
Hmm. I, I was just curious because you guys mentioned, for example, with Star Sign that there's an unbalanced difficulty and it could be for based off of whatever element that you choose. But in this case, I mean, you only have the two options. So yeah. I, I figured this was not the case. I kind of would have yeah, liked I, it, actually, if I had more elemental options. But I imagine it would be very different if I chose dark, because then all of the enemies that uh, I was able to do massive damage to uh, actually doesn't do that much of a difference, I think, because light and dark hurt each other a lot more than any other element it, as it is. So this this game is just kind of um, intriguing. I mean, and just to kind of step off to the side for a moment, um, the first time I actually encountered Magical Star Sign, um, it was in a store, and I just thought it had the ugliest cover in the world. And then, uh, yeah, let's that's... mention the artwork briefly. <laughs> Given that it reminds me of several Mad Magazine satire artists, and it's that's. Just... And nobody looks at Mad Magazine for the beautiful characters, I think. Sorry, Michael, go ahead. Um, I mean, it's basically from, or similar to what the same group did with Legend of Mana and Sword of Mana in the Second Incentive series. Very similar art style. In fact, Sword, of Mana, even, Sword of Mana even had an Amigo system, like the Two Magical Vacation games. Yeah, I don't know what it was about the art style. I just looked at that, and I remember being very judgmental towards the game. It's like, I'm not going to play that. That well, doesn't look very interesting. Well, the faces on Magical Star Sign, the faces are different from the other games in style. And honestly, I look at the, the faces for the DS game, I'm thinking, okay. I really like the, the Game Boy Advance game. Or at least the faces are better. Like I said, I just remember being very judgmental towards the box art on this game, and then lo and behold, I got it as a gift from a friend of mine. And he kept asking me, like, have you tried it out yet? Was it good? Finally, one day, I just sort of caved and said, you know what, I better try this, because he's just going to keep asking me. <laughs> so I finally played it, and like, you know what, I owe it such an apology. It's definitely <laughs> one of those games where it really, you can't judge a book by its cover. Its cover may not be the prettiest thing in the world, but it, it really is a heck of a lot of fun to play. Um, I mean, the story's really cute with the characters, and we've touched a little bit on that stuff. But, you know, we should move on to something like the combat. I'll just say one other thing, which is that Sorbet's central character trait, which she reveals, is she's going to have to leave the school because she doesn't have the money to pay for classes anymore. That held no resonance whatsoever with me because... At this point, she's part of the, the sextet of students who are going around this solar system and beating the crap out of everyone using their magical skills. How is she not going to get a scholarship or something based on her abilities? Yeah, that should have been revealed at the beginning of the game. Yeah. Like with Magical Vacation, and you had a chance to talk to every single character before you went on that field trip. So you, you had a better feel for what their interactions were before they got scattered to the four winds. So they could have done something a bit better with that at the beginning of Star Song. I, I mean, I remember purposely going out of my way before the rocket ship scene, going around talking to everybody, um, getting an idea of what their character was going to be like. Um, and it definitely gave me a feel for what I was going to expect with the gameplay. They very much live up to the signs that they portray, just even if you look at their character designs and stuff, so... You're really, you really get a feel for what things are going to be. And the story, I mean, it, it's just very sweet, very cute, and very quirky. I mean, as long as you're not expecting a lot out of it, 
what does it matter? <laughs> yeah, it, it works at being a really goofy, interesting story. When it tries to get serious, it doesn't work as well, but the goofy, interesting parts hold it up well enough that you don't really mind when it does that thing I always hate in RPGs where this is an important moment, so the text scrolls very slowly so that you know this is important. Yeah. I've but, never liked that. <laughs> but yes, we should we should move on to talk about what makes the combat different in this game because there seems to be a very big difference about what the game uh, presents itself as compared to Vacation. Well, one thing is the same, which is that your characters regain some of their magic points every turn. And the basic look of the battle is the same because you have the, the two staggered rows and you can change positions and characters have different capabilities for front or back row. Yeah, the difference that's, here that's is that the game decides for you what you're going to do based on the row you're in rather than you selecting a different a spell which will affect a certain area. True. Some of those spells are really fun. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. No, it's um it's got a really unique idea with the stylus usage. Like this is one of the few games where and I openly admit I hate stylus-based games. With every fiber of my being, this is one of the few exceptions I will openly admit I actually enjoyed. Mostly because there is a little bit of a rhythm that you have to get going when you play this game, especially in the battle system. For example, if someone attacks you, if you want to defend or take less damage, you have to make sure you tap the screen at the right moment. Just I as, found I think that certain... really difficult, actually. I almost never managed to block anything but something telegraphed way in advance. I, I don't know, man. I got into like a really good groove, and I, for the most part, was able to do it. Maybe I just have rhythm. Maybe you do. To the individual characters, um, like casting animation, to figure out the exact right time to hit. Yeah, but, you could boost their power. Yeah, and oddly, I found it easier, much, much easier to boost their power using middle range spells than the super powered level 5 things that you learn late in the game. I could almost never boost those, so I was doing more damage with the boosted mid-range spells. I say I had a hard time with the um, the higher level spells myself, but I mean, every so often I'd, I'd knock one off, and I'd be so thrilled because it's like, yeah, I got it. Because it, it it the timing can be very difficult to actually get. Like there's just such a groove and a rhythm with this game, so it's not always, but it's not 100% foolproof by any means. It's either you got it or you don't. Yeah. Like, I found, like you, it was so much easier to use mid-tier spells and knock off more damage just because I could get the rhythm for that down pat. Plus, when you use mid-tier spells, you're not going to run out of magic points very quickly. No, and I mean, mean, one thing you don't really have to worry about in Star Sign is that the battles are not that difficult for the most part. In fact, they're really manageable. The game actually kind of, like, eases you into, like, how to use the battle system, um... Like I said, I never found anything too challenging. Um, did, just did like I said... Try, did you ever try to take on the Battle Master on the Wind Planet? No! I only used him in the role he suggested. Here, use these items on me. I never tried hitting him. Because he told me what would happen, and I wasn't ready for that. I oh, I tried to play, and he's absolutely correct. You die. Um, <laughs> I never had uh, that happen, but it's because I didn't try it. What was his name in English? In Japanese, he was Macaron. Oh, brother. What was his name? 
I don't know. I know it started with M at the very least. Well, probably Macaroon then. I think it was Macaroon. Okay. Yeah, that sounds right. I think there were a couple extra syllables added in there, but Macaroon was the gist of it. Or maybe Macaronius or something like that. That sounds about right, actually. Okay. His name is Deliciousness. Doesn't matter. (laughs) (laughs) I will say that the final boss, for a little while, was pretty nasty when it just kept using that black crunch thing or attack that hits everyone with a dark attack. And, of course, it was night, so it was hitting you really hard. But then it started to get stupid and started using the attacks that only hit one person, so I was able to get up again and pound the crap out of it. The final boss, I think, was just more of a slog, if anything, for me. Like, sure, it had its nasty points, but I found I just I had to take my time with it and try to hit as many of the timed hits as possible. <laughs> um, like I said, this game sounds like it was so much easier compared to, like, Vacation's Torment. Uh, yes. Yes, it is. Yeah. It kind of makes you wonder how the, why they decided that maybe they needed to rebalance this particular game considering it sounds like the difficulty was kind of you know that reminds me of something in vacation i did not try this myself but reputedly the maximum level is not 99 in vacation it's probably close to 200 or even more than that because there's a bonus dungeon and two of them you can only unlock by using the amigo system and if you go in there with anything under 100 level uh you're going to get destroyed instantly oh yeah Garam Masala. Ooh, Actually, no, or is it, no, it links to Garam Masala. It's called the Benaconcha Ruins, right? I, I think that's it. Yeah, I, I remember that because um, the name is, again, it's another Japanese spelled backwards name game for um, a type of hot pot called Chankonabe. It's what sumo wrestlers eat to bulk up. Yummy? It's actually pretty good. Mmm. But yeah, you probably shouldn't drink too much of it unless you want to bulk up like a sumo wrestler. Yeah. Food. No, it's, it's just like a really thick stew with um, noodles and meat and stuff. Mm. Okay. I've got yeah, some chicken to- salad in the fridge. I don't need that right now. And of course, the, the biggest difference in battle system between Star Sign and Vacation would have to be the way they boost magic with the, the entire uh, ephemerides and everything. Yes, with with the planet with the planet orbit system. Yes, and the day night system, which is separate from that. Yeah. Well, wasn't it just you know if your planet was aligned, you get the character aligned with that planet does more damage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a significant boost, about double the power, I think. Yeah. yeah. And then I thought that was the, nifty. And then there's the spell that you can use to realign the planet. But I only used that a couple of times when a boss would be a jerk and align the plan in its own favor. So I figured, no, you don't, jerk. I'm going to turn the tables on you. And, of course, if you align the, all the planets into a particular configuration, then you slam everything in front of you. So. <laughs> I only heard of that ability. I did not see it for myself. Oh, that's, that's where they get the magical star sign from. Oh! That, that's, also where the, that's also where the Japanese secondary title comes from. When the five stars align. <laughs> Sounds almost like something Nostradamus said. But, yes, doesn't it? But yeah, it, it's really hard to get in. Um, it's really MP-intensive to get it. But when you do, it does 
it, it, it's good for you. Um, if it happens naturally on its own, which it does sometimes, then it just hits everything on the screen and you're probably screwed. <laughs> that sounds like so not be, fun times. So if you see it coming, do it yourself. Kill whatever's in front of you. <laughs> and aren't there a couple of bosses that will happily use the magical star sign against you if it happens? Absolutely. Of course. It's their job. They're bosses. <laughs> Be pains in the rear. And they are well-programmed bosses. So. Yeah. yeah. I've seen games where the bosses won't take advantage of the eternal system. Even though they totally should to be your butt? <laughs> yeah. So I'm very happy when bosses are actually smart enough to try and kill me back. It has more challenge. Absolutely. As long as they're not regularly successful, like in the Mega Ten game. There's nothing worse, of course, than a boss that overuses and acts like they're being cheap, though. I, I, I always hate when a game is like, here's my super ultimate mega attack. I'm going to use it 20 times, and by that I mean every single turn, like in Mega Ten games. <laughs> they're perfect or examples that of that. Oh, or yeah, they are. are. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but, but wrong theories, wrong theories. Okay. This game does not have that problem, thankfully. Yeah, yeah. the bosses have powerful attacks, but they don't abuse them to the point where you scream at the screen. No, it's in fact, the game is really reasonable for the most part. Um, like I said, I never found bosses challenging in this game, other than the final boss, which just, you know, I had to be patient with. I really just didn't have any problems with them. I found them incredibly manageable. But I'm also somebody who likes fair difficulty and doesn't like throwing their DS across the screen, which I'm known to do. Anger management, Nick. Anger management. No, I'm the queen of no patience. <laughs> I'm not. Remind I'm not me of a time when before. I played the original Fire Emblem on hard and uh, something went wrong and I slammed that GBA down on the desk very hard and it broke the screen. Wow. Okay, I've never done anything like that. That was, I, just, I think, nine years ago. I just know my level of patience. I am not a very patient gamer. And Magical Star Sign, perfect difficulty for me. I don't think I ever got mad at it once. I think I was too busy giggling at the robot being so adorable. Usually if something's really cute in the game, I can forgive all annoying factors. Yeah, Not I, always true if, in if recent I cases. Tipped, I would have definitely recommended this game to you. So, yeah. <laughs> I, can I say I like cute things, and this game just hits the right amount of cute yeah. and oh. a lot of, and fun. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Before I forget about him, you remember pizza in this game, right, Sam? <laughs> pizza. Little guy in a blue hat who creates warp points for you. Yes, which I'll never oh, understand why his name is Pizza. Because it's yeah. food. But I want him to be a piece of pizza. That would have been more entertaining. <laughs> You see little pizza pizza running around with little feet and arms and okay, I, I'm talking about something I just made up. Okay, you need to sell that idea, Sam. It has potential. They had guys made out of jelly in that one. <laughs> the the Konyaku men. Yeah. Anyway, right. pizza was in vacation too, but instead of giving him sugar stars like you do in Star Sign, you gave him pine cones. Oh yeah. That was and there were a lot of pine cones to collect on the ground. Lots of pine cones. Mmm, pine cones. Do you no. know what I think? Serious roughage. Pine You're not nuts. thinking of the same pine cones I am, but that's okay. Well, I'm thinking of these little 
brown ridged things that fall off of trees and sprout new trees eventually. And I'm thinking of what I usually call artichokes. Ah, okay. Okay. Which look like little green pine cones. They're evil. I see that. They break my bags of milk. I don't like them. Bag bags milk. instead of something harder? I live in Canada. We have bagged milk, not stupid, you know, cartons. We do have cartons, but nobody really buys them. What about plastic jugs? We don't do plastic jugs. Those got phased out. You will rarely Bags see them. of milk. Yes. Bagged milk. It's real. And okay, I'm sorry, but if, if, that sounds like something that we would find in one of these gangs. Absolutely. It's just one of those things where you can't put stupid artichokes beside bags of milk because they puncture a hole. I learned that the hard way one day, and I was very upset. It was like, no, my precious milk, I don't like you artichokes. Choke on it. I'm just, I sat and was very pouty for the rest of the day. See, this game has got me talking about food. Can we have pizzas with arms? Uh, Well, if you ever come here, I can treat you to the the $6... All you can eat pizza buffet. Okay, I'll, I'll take the invitation someday. Okay. <laughs> can uh, we have character? Do you remember? Do you remember if any characters from the first game were mentioned in the second game? Because I, I remember a few were. Well, I I was talking around in the classrooms at the beginning of the game, and uh, Professor yeah. Pistachio was mentioned. Yeah. Um. The at the end of the first game, when they were giving epilogue details for all the characters, they mentioned that. He not only managed to avoid flunking out, but he eventually became a professor at the school. Yeah. I did and not was, see that coming. Yeah. And there was, there was this one kid at, towards the end of Magical Star Sign that looked a lot like Ganache, I remember. He was in the caves with all the magicians who were hiding from the Enigma. Oh, him. him. Wasn't he the leader of them? Yes, he was. I think his name was Black, Japanese version, but... He talked like he knew a lot more about things than he let on, and he looked a lot like Ganache. Yeah, and he even said something about how I'm too old to go join you. I'll stay here and guard the rear. Which yep. which fits the age of Ganache. Yep. Is Principal Biscotti in the first game? I thought we thought he was pretty funny. Yep, uh, he was called Grand Rage in both Japanese versions. But I, I like Biscotti better. I just like Biscotti. I thought he looked like the same character. Yeah, he's the same character. And Madeline is the same character. Well, her name didn't change, so that was obvious. Yeah. And when I first saw the the art for the bad guy in Magical Star Sign, my first thought was that this was Pistachio because he looked like a dog person. But, oh well. It would have been cool to actually see Pistachio grow up and actually look strong. He's only there in name. We didn't get to see him do anything, sadly. Sorry, I have a phone call. One moment. Hey, Sam. Yes? Wasn't it fun to navigate all those layers of space pirate, of space police bureaucracy? The space police were funny. They gave yes, me that, lols. Yes, that, that first part when you're trying to fill out a missing persons case for Madeline... And you keep getting shuffled for, between about a dozen different desks at the space police. Well, I had a good laugh there. But it was quite yeah, it was frustrating funny. at the same time. Oh, wait. That's a, that's a space pirate issue? Oh, we can't do it with that at this desk. I'm sorry. You have to go over to 
other desk. Kidnappings. Oh, wait, but you said that happened on another planet? Oh, kidnappings is, an, is a single planet entity. You're going to have to go over to uh, Parts and Requisitions to, just so you can find the right people. So there, there was a lot to like. The, the sense of humor in this game was just, it was cute and cheeky and fun. And like I said, I wish I my memory was better about exact plot details, but it's been like three years since I played it. That after... uh, shall we actually mention what the plot was at the end of the game? Oh, yes. Okay, so Jin, uh, oh, Kale had, through research, um, discovered the way that the life cycle of the solar system works. So the way it worked was that there's this giant worm at the heart of everything, and when the solar system came to its natural end, it would hatch out, be released, and then start converting everything in sight into gummies. It would then eat all this gummy and um, basically devour the entire solar system and then explode and create a new solar system out of it. That's a slightly different take on the world destroyal, destroying and revival that we see in a lot of religions. So, so Kale was, in his own weird way, trying to control the worm, trying to limit the damage, and to ensure that his group, at least, survived. Yummy gummies. <laughs> yep. And to that end, he was, ha- he was get- having all these magicians captured so he could focus their energies on, I can't remember exactly how it was supposed to work, but it didn't really work. Mmm, so. gummy Venus de Milo. Actually, no, that was your teacher by the end of the game, if I remember right. Um, yeah, it was Ma- gummy Madeline. Yeah. Oh, That's and the, awesome. the, the worm along with the light and dark planets, mm. well, they're, they're in the center of the sun. Yeah. Usually a hard place to reach. Not in this game. Well, yeah, once you get the millennial gummies, then you just uh, turn into pure energy or something. You transmigrate. You transmigrate. Yeah, it was that easy. Yeah. I mean, that's what the that's what the millennial gummies were for. It does beg the question of how Kale was able to get in there earlier. Magic. Because he's just that strong a magician. Exactly, magic. A wizard did it. Well, well that and he, <laughs> I, he was allied with I mean, he was allied with the Enigma. Damn those Enigma. Yeah. Yeah, they're pretty much doing the same thing in this game. They were in vacation. But they're not the penultimate fight. They are not the ultimate evil. No, because the worm itself isn't evil, it's just natural force. They are the evil. They didn't try and take anybody over in this game, though. Or fuse, I suppose, is better. Yeah. I was actually kind of surprised when they showed up towards the end. I wasn't expecting to see them ever again. There have been a few of them earlier. And then we just get to the dark planet and... Yeah, there's Enigma all over the place. Wow. Yeah. Better try and fight them by day or else their, <laughs> their dark attacks hurt. Yep. They're supposed to hurt. Anything else weird to talk about this game? Talking huh. Pot. <gasps> Talking Pot was awesome! He gave you random knowledge. Yes. And if you used the wind magic in front of one type of Talking Pot, you got all those little confetti things. Oh my goodness, I remember giggling so loudly when the confetti happened. I was just like, I got a prize! And except it was confetti, and then I was sad. I was like, that's not a real prize. Well, actually, it's um, Competo, which it's a Japanese sugar, uh, like a rock candy type stuff, named after confetti. 
like that. Oh, I thought it was like chocolate rocks. Nope, it's a kind of rock candy. Mmm, chocolate rocks. Oh, what I can't even rice remember candy. what you're supposed to do with the rock candy, but I remember that you could trade it for something, I think. Now, what could you use it for? Um, I thought you could eat it. Possibly. You could eat a lot of things in this game. So you could eat just about anything you got as, a, as an item from characters. Yep. They all had like fun fun names and made of delicious. See, I don't I don't like this podcast anymore because I'm sitting here going, I want candy. Well, I need to go get some lunch soon because I need to go to work in about twenty minutes. So, <laughs> so magical star sign. Did mm-hmm. everybody love it enough to recommend it? Yes. Yeah. I would I recommend say it, so. sure. Mm. I'll have a review up shortly that more or less says the same thing. I'm not gonna tell you that this is the greatest game in the DS library because it isn't. But it is something that if you give it a chance, you'll have a lot of fun with. Now, I like the first game enough that I bought Magical Star Sign like within the first week when it was released. So. And it's, uh, you know, it's quite affordable. You can get it for about $10 with shipping included. So Yeah, I of, checked its eBay price. It's, yeah. It is definitely not one of the more expensive games you can seek. Yep, yep. Even if you get that thing uh, factory sealed, I see a number of brand new copies that are ten bucks total, ten, twelve bucks sealed, and yeah, seven bucks uh, without the uh, box. So go and check it out while you're rushing on eBay to buy your very own copy of Magical Star Sign. We're gonna play you a magical song sign. <laughs> I kill me. We'll be right back. our blast from the recent past section where we talk about games that came out about this time two years ago. These could be classic gems that you somehow passed up while you were busy out there uh, rushing to get Mass Effect 2 or something. Or uh, there may be something you're glad you passed. We're going to help you know the difference. Uh, we're going to start off talking about Monster Hunter Try. This was released here in North America on April 10th, 2010. Developed by Capcom Production Studios, published by Capcom. This is a single player and an online multiplayer cooperative experience for your Nintendo Wii home console entertainment system. Rated T for, believe it or not, terrific. So, any of y'all play Monster Hunter Try? I played it for an hour at Becky's house. Go back and play it some more. Okay, maybe All not. I remember oh. was I was a sexy bikini lady, and I fought a T-Rex, and then it ate me. That's what they do. 
<laughs> yes. That's well, all I remember about I, my experience. I need to get going now, so I, right. I've never played this. I'll just say that now, and I'll log out. All right. Well, thanks for being on the show, Mr. Baker. You have a safe trip. Yeah, thank you. You were extremely helpful. Really helpful. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. Well, talk to you guys later. See you later. Be well. Which backtrack am I going to show up in next? I do Number believe it's going to be one that is very close to your heart. I think yeah. it's Saga Games. Oh, yeah, I'm probably going to dominate this conversation. <laughs> okay. All right. Bye. See you later. So, uh, Monster Hunter Try is the third uh, console installment of the Monster Hunter uh, franchise. Um, and if you haven't played these games before, uh, they are uh, very. Uh, there's two things that stand my mind when I think about a Monster Hunter game. It's uh, it's an action RPG thing. You're going to be running around. You're going to be timing your your strikes. Uh, you, your weapons in these games tend to have varying speeds and and feelings to them and such. But uh, uh, probably the more prevalent uh, characteristic of the Monster Hunter games is that you're going to be preparing a lot too. Monsters in these games are very dangerous. They're very mean little critters, and you are just one dude. And and that big Tyrannosaurus Rex you were just talking about, uh, that will eat you up if you're not properly prepared. And running around in a bikini would not be properly prepared. So <laughs> I just but I looked so good in it. I'm sure you did. I'm I'm sure that probably crossed that Tyrannosaurus's mind for a split second right before he decided you tasted great but were less filling. So, um, you hear that, Sam? You're not filling enough for a T-Rex. <laughs> well, clearly my character didn't have enough boobage. <laughs> I had no I idea that was a prominent factor for what T-Rexes eat. I, on the other hand, have plenty of boobage, so the T-Rex would T-Rex, me a lot. T-Rexes have no boobs. Ah, well, now that this conversation is totally <laughs> derailed into another boob conversation here on the RPG Backtrack, something which we are well known for. Uh, um, <laughs> Only when I seem to be here. Uh, yeah, what is it about Becky and Cassandra that makes them not go with a boob route? I don't know. You roll a monster hard try. You're you're a, a, a great savior of the of the village, um, which is uh, ha- always having some sort of problems with terrifying sea monsters, bullying people and the sailors and the such. Um, but uh, you know you're you're uh, you may be the savior, but you're kind of a neophyte, and, and you know better than to go rush out there and, and deal with big sea creatures without the proper uh, gear and support items and all that other fun stuff. So uh, you head out to the guild and you start doing what every seasoned adventurer or neophyte adventurer does. You start picking up quests, which you know will in turn train you in how to play the game. Uh, You're going to be chopping off a cute little beast to begin with, collect all manners of rocks and flora um, and whatever have you. You're going to learn how to mix these rocks and floras and bunny rabbit skins together to create support items that are necessary for your survival. um, uh, and you'll start off. Uh, you, you'll start off uh, finding meat that you can barbecue just so you can eat and, and get some hit points up. There's a lot to these Monster Hunter Try games. You're not just going out killing monsters, collecting some gold, and then go spending it in the store for some healing potions. No, 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 no. You will learn that there is an ecology and and where these flowers and monsters and skins and things like that are at. You're going to learn how to farm them. You're going to learn how to put those mushrooms and stuff together. And 
and and create the the things that you need in order to be successful in battle. Uh, uh, when you finally do decide to take on something bigger, uh, your first couple of times, you may do what I did and just rush forward with a big weapon and just hit the button as quickly as possible and hope you win. That will not work in Monster Hunter Try. Uh, you will <laughs> you will need to make sure that you have support items, the potions. Uh, uh, herbs, uh, barbecue ribs, whatever. Plus, you're going to also want to have some traps on hand. Traps that you can lay down, lure the monster into to debuff him or capture him and paralyze him for a little bit of time or a uh, number of other things. Um, the first few hours of Monster Hunter try and doing a lot of those quests will will help will help you get to to learn all of those uh, learn all those little nooks and crannies and, and the such like that. Um, but you'll also learn that uh, preparation alone isn't key. This is an action RPG. When you fir- fight your first gigantic lizard doohickey, uh, you'll learn that there is, of course, some timing to it, and being able to move at the right time is is important. And 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 taking all these big, huge beasts is just it, it's monstrous. Between all the preparation and getting psyched up and going out there, you're really feeling like you're going on a on a really really big hunt. Um. And in Monster Hunter Try, uh, they take this to a new level. If you played Monster Hunter level, uh, Monster Hunter games before, one of uh, Try's additions to the series is the underwater battles. So, uh, some of the monsters are amphibious. You're going to have to battle them on land and in water. Uh, yeah, the action's going to be you know slower underwater, but uh, uh, you're going to have some new attacks down there to help contend with those guys. And it actually ends up uh, being uh, pretty fun. Uh, camera is a bit of a pain in the rear end sometimes, but uh, for the most part, it's 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 pretty fun. Um, and I, I, I was, uh, in the small amount of time I played, I was using a classic controller. Were you using, were you using classic controller? Yes, I was. Yeah, I don't know if there's an option to do, you know, some of these games have I, other uh, options if you, you know, to use the pointer and stuff like that. You know, I'm pretty sure when I played it at Becky's house, it was with the classic controller. Yeah, classic controller's your friend. I think, <laughs> I don't know, I, I just can't picture that game being played with the nunchuck and pointer. You know, but I'm, I'm, that would be really hard. Yeah. Well, you know, um, uh, apparently I'm just I'm looking at some uh, looking at some notes from a review here. Apparently, you can use the nunchuck. We wholeheartedly do not recommend using the nunchuck option. This is a game that requires precision control. You'll be very happy if you use the classic controller. Um, so, yeah. So preparation, thoughtful battles, uh, the graphics are really, really good on this game. Uh, for the Wii, of course, it's not going to knock out your your, your um, Mass Effect uh, 3 by any stretch of the imagination, but it is uh, it, it will uh, it, it will take you in for uh, uh, for for what it does, uh, and just the depth of the game. I mean, you catch bugs, you mine for iron, you go out and you fish, you're harvesting berries, you're going back to town, you're combining these together. If you're one of those people who play World of Craft, World of Warcraft, and you're actually into the alchemy systems or whatever have you they they, they you got to check this out because they, they're a lot more prominent here a lot deeper and they'll have uh, bigger effects for the most part um now one of the other things about monster hunter try games is they're not just single player experiences you can approach this game from a single player only and with enough preparation uh you'll probably be able to get through the game and take down the big beast and whatever have you but you can also go online 
and uh, grab some other companions and take down those big beasts using teamwork. Uh, that tends to go a little bit faster because one of, uh, while one of you is distracting the monster, the other two are laying down the traps or attacking and just whacking away at the thing. And obviously it's going to go by easier when you have three people instead of one. So um, the online system being the Wii isn't, isn't super ideal, but uh, it actually works pretty well, especially compared to some of Nintendo's own multiplayer um, mechanics and such in some of their games. So... Um, I'm just trying to think if there's anything else to look at. I mean, I, I'll tell you that um, uh, if you played the PSP ones, uh, which is the ones I played before, uh, you real and you liked it, you'll just be really happy with this with this uh, Monster Hunter try. I think uh, I think it was one of those overlooked things because it, it's an intimidating game, it's an intimidating series, and some of the previous offerings in this series haven't always had great execution. Um, so, uh, but you'll find out, uh, that they did a pretty decent job here on the Wii. It's actually gotten pretty good review scores, so it isn't just me saying this. Uh, users give this an average of 9 out of 10, and Metacritic's got it sitting at an 84, which is pretty bloody good for any Wii RPG. So, uh, you can grab that guy off of eBay for about, uh, $16, $17, uh, used. Maybe a little less if you're lucky, and if you want shrink wrapped in the box, uh, you can get it for about twenty-five. Incidentally, Phil, according to Wiki, IGN gave Magical Star Sign a seven point five out of ten in its review. Yeah, yeah, actually, uh, gave it a pretty positive review overall. So, but we already know everyone's going to go out and buy that game, and they're going <laughs> to buy Monster Hunter Try at the same time. So. Now let's talk about you know we, we've got them all going out and buying these games maybe uh, maybe the th- maybe we need to give them maybe a little we break. We should apply some repellent. Yeah, we should we should tell them about a game they probably don't want to play. Isn't isn't that isn't that uh, uh, right, Miss uh, Sam? Who's in the what it now? Are we talking about Agarest War? Yes, we are. How I would you rather know? you are because I've never touched it's it. It's almost like you read minds. <laughs> wow. I'm going back to bed. See you later. Wow, this I'm is awesome. <laughs> um. Okay. Let so me just we're talking. You put about twenty hours into this. We're surely did, something stuck out of it. that time. All right, well, let's give it a proper introduction. We're talking about record of Agarist War. Uh, this was developed by Idea Factory. It was a bad idea. Published in North America by Axis uh, Games. Uh, this was released for the Xbox 360 here in North America on April 27, 2010. Uh, there's a little note about the PlayStation Network. Did this come out on the PlayStation Network at the same time? I, I don't yes. know. Yeah, yeah, it looks like it. This is a single-player tactical RPG. It is also rated T, but in this case, T means terrible. <laughs> and tell us and why, Miss Sam. Apparently. Tintillating, all right. Tell us how it's titillatingly terrible. Um, for those who probably remember, back when this game was released, there was a really risque sort of campaign going on, showing more of the, the sexual aspects of the series. Um, for those who were looking forward to that aspect when they saw the marketing, they were probably really disappointed when they saw that the game had none of those sexual aspects. This game is just, I couldn't stand it. I mean, I put 20 hours into it, I was supposed to review it, and I just, I couldn't do it. Part of the problem with this game is that, regardless of the difficulty setting you put it on, everything feels unbalanced. The other issue, of course, is that the way that the battle system works is that, you know, you place your characters on a grid like any other tactical game, but every time you move, 
and you place your dudes, the enemy's going to move the, with, like with you at the same time. So every so often you'll find yourself face to face with an enemy and it was just irritating because in most cases if you get flanked by an enemy, they're all going to flank you. It wasn't like one. If, if two were close enough to you, they could go diagonal and say, okay, well, we're going to flank your character. So it was really easy to be one-shotted in this game. Um, the amount of random battles in this game is atrocious. <laughs> like, you can't go to one node without having to hit a battle. Every single area is a battle. So you try to, you know, get to a story point maybe. Nope, you got to do a bunch of boring random battles with really cheap enemies. And then you could get to your plot point and your plot point might only be maybe two minutes long. Like, this game was all about the battle system and the battle system was such a slog that I couldn't get any enjoyment from any of the story aspects, which I thought was actually kind of interesting at first. I mean, in this game, it's all about playing a generation. So in the first part, you play um, Leonard, and he's, you know, he's the first generation character. You know, at the end of his generation, you pick one of the sexy girls in the party to marry. You marry her, you get their offspring. And the story will change depending on who you picked for your your hair, right? So, um, like, that part I thought was really cool. But there's just so much wrong with this game. It's not even It's better funny. developed than Fantasy Star 3, right? Yes. That's where I'm going to give it its points. You actually get to know your bachelorettes. Um, wow, fact, it, that's, that's it does better at that than a 1991 Sega Genesis RPG. Wow. Actually, that's one of the aspects I liked is the fact that you do get to know your bachelorettes. You do get to learn a little about their likes and dislikes. And one thing um, that really determines which bachelorette you get is there's this gauge during the story points, and it'll move to light, dark, or neutral. If you give a neutral response, it's obviously going to stay in the middle. If you pick a response that maybe a heroine doesn't like, it'll move to the opposite of whatever her alignment is. So, for example, like, there was this one elf chick, and I could just never make her happy. So every time I would talk to her, her alignment would always move to the dark side, as if to say, she's like, I don't like you. (laughs) And then, like, this other girl would be like, oh, I'm really nice, and I'm, like, captain of the guard, and I'm really hot. And I'd be like, every time I would respond to her, she just instantly liked me for whatever reason, based on the responses I picked. So I ended up marrying her. But the whole point of the soul breeding system is just that it allows you to create a new character for the next generation. And this game is really long. Like, there's five generations. I made it to generation two before I said, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> Thankfully, wow. apparently, Agoras Zero is only two generations. But apparently, even that game is excessively long. I'm sure, you know, if there are people out there who love this style of game, I mean, they'll get a kick out of it. It just wasn't my bag, truthfully. Um, I wish I could say that it was really fun. Like, I love tactical games. But I don't like tactical games that are tedious and slogging and boring. The one thing that still haunts me to this this day is the battle theme. Every so often I find myself walking and I'll start humming it. And I'm like, why do I remember this? Oh, yeah, because this game was nothing but battles, two-minute plot point battles. Like, there was even points in the game where you have these exploration points. So you could go find random items and whatnot. But that didn't break up the monotony. Like... Just the amount, everything about this game just screams tedious. And it doesn't help that, like, you know, this game gets advertised as being a hypersexual game. And let's face it, there's no instance of porn anywhere. So you're already disappointed. What? No porn? Oh, no. Why are we even talking about the. Oh, come on. 
Just waste. That's what these games like to advertise as. It's like, here's girls with big boobies. Oh, jeez. And then you go. Or otaku. What will they do? It's like, oh, big boobies. This is great. Um, And it's a shame because, like I said, the the characters and the plot didn't seem so bad. But the gameplay just, I couldn't get past it. It was just something I couldn't enjoy. So, I, I mean, it's one of those games I regret never finishing and reviewing for the site. But at the same time, my time is far more precious than doing the same repeated battle over and over again. And if a game makes me feel like I'm wasting my time and money, I have no problem putting it aside and saying, you know what? Go waste somebody else's time. Mine is too precious. And then I go review other stupid games that make me feel that way too, but at least I complete them. This was probably 60 hours of my time. Like, if I think if I'd completed it, probably would have been more than 60 hours easily. And I wouldn't have been able to get that back. I mean, 20 hours was enough. (laughs) Hmm... Yeah. I already felt stupid then. <laughs> uh, that's yeah, fair. it's like it's like Siskel and Ebert said uh, occasionally about certain movies. That's two hours you'll never get back. Well, here's ten times that. The funny thing though is is that this game does have a has quite the following, um, and that's why Access has been so success, successful in bringing out the other games. I mean, the first game I think sold over eighty thousand copies, and that was just I think with the Xbox version alone. Um, they actually, I think, had more cells on the Xbox than they did on PlayStation Network. And People that was one of the goodies that came with the Xbox version, I guess. Well, the goodies were pretty interesting. I mean, you had a booby mouse pad, a pillowcase, <laughs> um, a lot of tantalizing items, let's put it that way. Um, it sounds like Axis's yeah. marketing team did its work well. <laughs> it's funny because, I mean, I do sometimes oddly see the game you know, used stores for Xbox, but obviously I never see the goodies with it. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, not. that's a sign, right? Those Is found it, their way into a, uh, a very happy home, I guess. But I you know what? I mean, a loving game, home, but no. I'm, if I'm not mistaken, I know the Xbox version actually does like have a high retail rate. Like, you can get a lot of money if you sell the first and the second one back. Uh, the prequel one, sorry, Zero. Like, I know my ESB still has it on the list saying, like, if you trade this in, we will give you actual money. And not, like, the fake money we promise when you give me back Madden 12. (laughs) (laughs) That is the truth. (laughs) Well, Sam, let's let's be realistic. How many things are worth less than Madden 12? I have a friend who owns a game store, and every time he gets Madden games... Or any sports title that's really old and not for, like, the Genesis or the Super Nintendo, he will actually give them to children's hospitals. It's just, like, here, because I don't need 30 copies of NHL, you know, 1996. Or 09 or whatever, right? So he'll give them to all the hospitals in Toronto. Or NBA 2K3 or whatever. But that's what I mean. There's a few things he'll keep, though. I mean, if you've ever played the Genesis version of NHL 1994... It's the greatest experience of your life because you get to jersey people in 16 bits. Or is it 32 bits? I can't remember anymore. I'm tired. <laughs> 16. Ah, okay, I was right. So yeah, jerseying people in 16 bits. Friggin' awesome. I can still play that game, even to this day. So that's better than Agarest War. Go play NHL 1994. Yeah, <laughs> And it's not on Virtual Console. No, it is not, and it's very depressing. Phil, let's not even ask for a price on this one. (laughs) No, we're not even. We're not even going to do the uh, blue light special price check. We're gonna. 
Move on. If you're interested in it, you can go find it for you through your own special means. Yeah. I'm sure Amazon will gladly help you. Or you can do eBay. I'm sure it's there. We're going to move on to something a little bit uh, a little bit more fun to play, something a little closer to our hearts, a little bit more near. This is near for the PlayStation 3 developed by what is that? Cavia? Uh, published by Square? Caviar. Yeah, Cavia. Well, they should have just put an R at the end. Caviar. Wouldn't that be nice to say, <laughs> I work for Caviar? Published uh, by Square Enix here in North America on de- April 27th, 2010. Uh, this is an action RP single player experience for your PlayStation 3 console. Rated him for mature. Because it has a talking book, right? I think that's what makes it mature. Yeah, it must be that. Either that, or I mean, it's... Um... This is the company that made the Drakengard games, which actually were mature, from all I understand. Well, there's a thought. Uh, yeah, it has nothing to do with the uh, lady, uh, uh, you know, the, the lady sidekick there who's very scattily dressed. So, no, you leave her alone. <laughs> at least I get She's what's advertised. You leave Kaine alone. At least I get what I'm, you know, at least what's advertised here, you know? Sounds like you've played this, Sam. I have played a little bit of it. It's a game that I have been meaning to go back to. Um, I'm not going to lie, I kind of got stuck on the fishing and everyone's like, once you do it and you catch the fish, you never have to do it again. I'm like, but the fishing controls are so annoying. <laughs> Um, and that's why I stopped for a while. I had to put it away. I'm didn't, like, you know what? I will come back to you at some point. <laughs> didn't somebody put the near fishing game in with the fishing feature Omega put up a while back? Adrian did. Ah. Adrian is a big near fan. I mean, actually, a lot of the people on staff who've played near have completed it. They love it to pieces. And I can see why. The story is really wonderful. I mean, it's about a dad who's trying to save his daughter who's incredibly ill. And he Whoa, goes. That's already these... unusual for a JRPG. Well, what makes it even more unique is just the amount of the great lengths he goes to to do this. You know, he's doing all like traveling through all these different areas. You know, he's trying to find a cure. He finds this book instead, and Grimoire Weiss, and he's just really funny. <laughs> he swears a lot. Is voiced by Liam O'Brien. Wait, no, sorry. Yes, Liam O'Brien. That's right. And just. He's got a lot of sense of humor. This story, this game is really unique in that it's an action RPG. It's a bullet hell shooter. Um, it's a sim game. Like It has multiple genres within it. What I mean by sim game? Well, it has its own element of Harvest Moon in there. So you can mm-hmm. do some farming to help the people in the world. Just as you can do some fishing to help the people in the world. Um, the bullet hell element comes from Grimoire Weiss. You know, you have these little bolts that you can shoot to dodge, you know, to help dodge enemies or attack, you know, different cores on enemies. Like, everything in this game is lush, it's beautiful, it's extreme. Um, Like, the worlds are huge in scope. So you just, you feel like that the journey you're going on is really grand. And just, it's got a really great cast of characters. Plus, one of the achievements is totally you can ride a sheep for five minutes, and I totally did that. And I ended up on the other side of that giant meadow. <laughs> like, how many games let you ride a giant sheep? <laughs> so I don't I mean, know. It's definitely just one of those games that's got such a unique flair to it. And also, oh my goodness, the music is insanely stunning. Like, it probably is one of the best soundtracks I've encountered in a long time. Like, you can just hum along with the music as you play, and 
you're not going to get anything more unique than this. I mean, a lot of people who played this game and bashed it, it was because, you know what, they weren't sure what the hell it really was. And to an extent, it's definitely a game that's really hard to define by any means. That being said, you know, if you give it a shot, there's definitely something special here. Just for the story alone. The story just seems to be really wonderful, and it's a game I so look forward to going back to and finishing up, because I know I'm going to love it as it goes on. Like, it made me cry in the first five minutes with the whole illness thing. I was just like, oh my god, this is so sad. <laughs> Again, that's Especially, that's really unusual for a JRPG to deal well, with a with, parent instead of somebody who is in no conceivable way ready to be a parent. <laughs> well, what's actually really interesting about the game is that um, the main character's daughter, you, you'll get on loading screen some of her journal entries, and it's intense how much she loves her father. You know, she'll say things like, you know, I baked Papa a cake for his birthday, but then the cake kind of got destroyed, so I tried to give it him, and he still loved me anyways. Like, little things like that just kind of add to the story, and you can really see that they have such a wonderful and loving relationship, and that this girl, she really is his world. What happened like, to the mom? Um, I actually don't know anything about the mom. To be honest, I I don't know anything because I'm not that that far into the story. If there is anything about that, it's just you know, she is the world, and near he's just one guy who, you know, he's trying to help his village. He's trying to he's trying to help so many different people, and when she gets sick, you know, he still wants to help all those people, but she's the number one priority. And just like I said, there's just just so much to explore in this game. It's just a lot of fun. Like, definitely worth it if you can get it on PS3 or Xbox. It's insanely cheap. Like, I haven't seen a copy that hasn't been, like, about about 20 bucks, really. Yeah, it went it went on sale very quickly. Um, I bought mine brand new at a Sears store uh, within a few months of release, and it was for 20 bucks. Um, so, yeah, it was kind of a, a little sad. And I'm with you, you know... Uh, you know, I you know we joke a lot, you know, here on RPG Backtrack, back and 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 times we've we've also talked serious about how um, how occasionally in trying to entertain the masses, the video game company gets a bit uh, depraved in its approach, <laughs> and uh, and and we we get a lot of flack. You know, it is an industry we get a lot of flack for that and and the such. But uh, you know, Near steps out a little bit by giving a more you know, mature story where you got a father who's totally, uh, you know, out to save his daughter. And as you were mentioning with the journal, you can see a very uh, tender and loving and, and, and maturely written uh, relationship in there. Uh, and it, it's a shame that, you know, stories like that aren't applauded more often. And, and then we scratch our heads when we keep getting this spiky-haired teenager out to save the world, you know, cliche stuff. So, yeah. No, I think near is something we need. Like that type of storytelling is something we need more of. Yeah, and, um, and especially I agree. in the Japanese game industry, you know, you need to be able to step out of the box a little bit. And near, you know, while it's not a perfect game by any means, it just it steps out of a crowd and it shows people that, you know, there is mature storytelling within JRPGs. Mm-hmm. And I, like I said, I just think we need to see more. Of this if Western RPGs can do it. You know, I think JRPGs need to step it up in the same way. So, um, 
Yeah, exactly. No, I'm totally with you. And I think that's a good reason, if for no other reason. I did. I knew when I got the game, I wasn't gonna have time to play anytime soon. So I didn't get. Uh, I haven't gotten too uh, deep into it either. But I wanted to go out and, and buy it just to support uh, the industry in making a game like this. Well, it's also depressing because Caveat just doesn't even exist anymore. Mm-hmm. So we'll never kind of see these these mature type games. I mean, a lot of people really liked. Again, Drakengard, not a perfect game by any means. Or Drakengard, sorry. Getting a little tired here. Um, But again, those games were cheered for because of the fact that they have, again, a fairly mature story. They're fairly graphic in content. If I remember correctly, they're pretty gory. Um, This game also definitely has an element of... I understand the first one features things like pedophilia and incest, of all things. Yeah, yeah. you that can't. Said, you can't really call that an E for everyone. No, and and near is definitely in the same boat. It's it can be pretty gory at times too. It just has to do with the fact that, like I said, near is hunting creatures that are like ten times bigger than him. You know, he stabs them, and it's like ooh, pool of blood sort of thing. It's exaggerated, but I mean, it's still. Pretty oh, bad. Mortal Kombat! Will your influence never fade? The answer <laughs> is no. no. <laughs> I still love you, Mortal Kombat. <laughs> I do, too. There's I a... even liked Mortal Kombat 3, just because I tried to do some more different stuff. There's a place in everyone's heart for Mortal Kombat. Uh, but is there room in their heart for our next game? Harvest Moon, <laughs> Hero of Leaf Valley, developed by Marvelous Entertainment, published by Natsume. This was released on the PSP in North America on April 26, 2010, a single-player construction and management RPG simulation. <laughs> New subgenre. <laughs> Rated E for everybody. We don't need to talk about this game again. Go listen to the Harvest Moon backtrack. That's right. Go read my review. It's a good game. It's in Probably the, the best archive. one on the PSP. Anna will disagree with me. But that doesn't matter because she's not here to deal with me. So Hero of Leaf Valley is awesome. And if you like Harvest Moon and you only have a PSP, that's the one to play. Yeah. There. Done. We don't need to talk about it. I think it's also one of the cheaper ones you can get, too. Uh, Let's see here. And, I mean, that was – I think that was number 33 – I think that was number 33 where we talked about the Harvest Moon games. Uh, so that was that was last year. Wow, January 14, 2011. And you can find all that at rpgamer.com. Click on the Backtrack link located on the left side. And, uh, and uh, listen to all of the uh, shows that we've done because they're all really awesome and, and stuff. And yes, while, they are. And, while you're, and, and we would know. Yeah. Yeah, and you can find uh, if you are looking for uh, you know if you are looking for this uh, this game, uh, the updated price check on that is about uh, thirty bucks, new or used. It doesn't really seem to matter. Um, and it might be cheaper on PSN. Sometimes mm. I know certain games go on sale. Harvest Moon games will once in a while be in the sale. Ah, okay, fair enough. And while they're rushing to their PSN or PlayStation Portable to look at their PSN account and see what's, whether or not it's on sale, we're going to take a teeny tiny break and we're going to wrap this show up with your comments and questions and our final thoughts on the final lap. We'll be right back.
T. So last time we talked about Luigi and Mario and uh, <laughs> Louis Mario Luigi brothers or something or other. <laughs> and uh, we had some comments. And... Yes, one of them from Sam, who seemed to appreciate in some kind of way the uh, opener to that show. My grandmother would hate you guys so much. You know. And then Becky chimed in to say that your grandmother would be um, a stereotypical Italian grandmother. And that's not me saying it, that's Becky. Yes, this is true, but Becky's, I think, also met my grandmother, so she knows. <laughs> She's met the Lenina before. The mad- She's a special lady. <laughs> the Madness writes, I played Superstar Sega way back when, but I liked it, uh, but I liked it so there's not much to talk about. Except when I got killed by Balletta, and I don't think I finished the game. I found the combat moves pretty interesting, especially how they had secret variations you could figure out to do different things. I find that interesting that because he liked it, there's not much to talk about. Yeah. It must be easier to pick things apart than to say, that was good. Yeah, what's up with that madness? I mean, if you like the game, you've got to have some cool things to say about it, right? And you can you can actually do that. You can call us here at the RPG Backtrack and tell the world your exciting story with uh, about Mario and Luigi and Bowser's intestines or whatever. <laughs> Give us a call at 801-810-5597 and tell your story, and we'll be happy to put it on the air. Assuming you follow our 800 guidelines that we talked about earlier on the previous shows. So, uh, let's see. I'm just joking. Uh, there's only a few guidelines. And uh, Shaman writes, I played through Super Star Sega, put it down about halfway through, never picked it back up for whatever reason. And he also played Bowser's Inside Story. He's pretty sure that Bowser's Story is the only game he ever traded out of spite. Because it was a Christmas gift from someone who he had a massive falling out with. That is something about an annoying puzzle sequence with the brothers about five hours in. That's probably the bit uh, where Bowser grows to the point where you need to control him by flipping the DS on its side. And yes, to get there, you go through a mini game, And it, it was kind of annoying, but the payoff was worth it. Hmm. Um, he also says that he got lucky, found a copy of Infinite Space for about $40, walk into a store. Uh, I don't know if that's super lucky. You, they're, uh, while they are hard to find, <laughs> when you do find them, they are about 40 50 bucks. I'm looking on half.com, if you're, uh, and you got a used copy going for about 40 plus shipping, so 43 ish 44 and a brand new copy going for about 10 bucks more. So it got a little lucky. And yes, we yeah. forgot to mention that Sega put that out in a brilliant move within a week of the latest Pokemon game. <laughs> Always Clearly, there would be no overlap in the DS market for a Pokemon game, right? Ah, uh, yeah. It's it's it, I'm telling you. Maybe that's why that's why I'm reading these articles on IGN about how they're just laying off a kajillion people and they're really struggling. Sega's just. Not doing too well. It's kind of a little depressing, actually. Oh, Sega. Sega. Well, one day, maybe Sega will learn what it is that it needs to do to survive. Yeah, like make, like a, a sell more rights to make more Sonic RPGs. Not. All right, so. <laughs> well, some people sort of liked that one Sonic RPG. I didn't, but that's me. Um, let's see. Our next show, RPG Backtrack, number 70, Under the Cherry Tree Moon. 
looks like we're talking about a lot of games uh, called Sakura. I'll be, I'll be talking for quite a while there because nobody else has played the Sakura Wars games that didn't come out in English, but one of them did. Yeah, yeah, the best one, of course. Um, and uh, we I shall think, see. Uh, yeah, <laughs> right. Because I did play all the others. Yeah. All, and all four main series, anyway. Who knows what I'll talk about? I might, I might, uh, I might do something uncharacteristic and buy a new game and talk about that. Now, what new game might that be, Phil? Why would you talk about a new game on Backtrack? I might be looking at getting Legend of Gimrock. Have any of y'all heard of it? Yes, I know you have. <laughs> so, mm. yeah, that's that. That's a that's a that's a a basically an old. Uh, Reinvision. I don't know. A new game of an old school, wait, an old school genre, whatever. It's a dungeon crawler using grid-based system on the PC, um, and it's uh, made by uh, almost a human. And uh, but, but if you played games like Eye of the Beholder, it's basically it looks like to me looking at the screenshots, it, it looked like Eye of the Beholder in high res, so high definition and such. It looks it looks very very intriguing. And dungeon crawler game with grid-based movement, and thousands of square riddled with hidden switches, pressure plates, sliding walls, floating crystals, forgotten altars, trap doors, and more. Yeah, sounds like I the Beholder. So, <laughs> look. it makes me think of Dungeon Master, truthfully. Ah, that's oh. what I get. That's my vibe that I get from hey, it. Hey, that works. So I, I don't know. I might do that. I might do something else. Maybe I'll have to have something. Ooh, bun bun. I'll have to have something to talk about. Uh, let's see here. There was. But wait, I thought you said you watched your wife play Soccer Wars Five or the English one. Oh yeah, yeah. I'll have I'll have a few tidbits to contribute about uh, uh, number five. That's for sure. Also, uh, let's see here. Uh, I wanted to point out something here, more in the retro game of um, Ava Ava Avadon. No, what's it called? Is it Avadon? Er, Avernum. Avernum. Yes, came out on the iOS, so iPad. I, I pad something or rather. Um, and for those of you who don't know, that's um, – wait a minute. Wait, read more. I'm pulling it up real fast. Uh, my computer crashed earlier and all my links It's made closed. by Spiderweb Software. Yeah, Aver- Avernum Escape from the Pit HD version is now on your uh, iOS device. This is a this is an incredibly complex old school RPG. I'm just reading the description on on here uh, from Spiderweb <laughs> Software. Um, I mean, I don't think it's incredibly deep, but I, I, or complex, I should say. But it will be for people who are used to who've only grew up playing, you know, Final Fantasy VII, um, because it is grid based and you do have skills and and the such, and and you combine all that together, it's going to feel deeper than your standard uh, off the shelf JRPG. Um, and uh, I can't speak as to the quality myself, but he must be doing something right because uh, they've been selling these for years, and now he's uh, the spider web. And I say he because it's, it's one guy who's basically <laughs> really push. Uh, it's three dudes. Three dudes now. It started with one guy though. I think Avernum was wasn't it just him when Avernum was made back in the day? I the believe so. One? Yeah, uh, but the remake. It wasn't sure. it originally also titled Exile. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Uh, let's see here. And and I've already talked before about um, Avadon, which is another spiderweb RPG available on your iOS device. I've been playing that; it's pretty cute. So, a couple things to check out there. Oh, and uh, Symphony of Eternity is on sale, but I don't know how long that'll last. Probably not. It'll probably be way over by the time I get this podcast posted. It's an old. It's it's another old school RPG for an iPad or iPhone. This one will work on the iPhone, I'm sure. Um, 16-bit style console JRPG, 
very genetic, generic and straightforward. I played it on my um, Android phone. It's a cute way to pass the time. Okay, well, I think um, I think that's all the retro news um, that I caught. Uh, just trying to keep up on things and as such. Did any of y'all see any cool retro nudes? Any re-releases or anything like that I forgot to mention? Not really. There hasn't actually been a lot of retro news lately. Nothing up on PSN or on, um, you know, live arcade and Wii Virtual Console. Well, let's face it, Nintendo's already mm. forgotten it exists, so. I know. It's sad. Um, it is sad. Oh, it, it don't even get me started. We'll have a whole sidebar on it. Um, I will say, oh, another... Another thing that was oh on super sale, it's um, probably worth mentioning. And now that I enclosed the website, it's um, this is scrolling down, scrolling down, scrolling down. Uh, Call of Cthulhu: The Wasted Land. It's a Lovecraftian tactical strategy game. Normally goes for five bucks. Currently on sale for two. Um, How long does that sale last? On the uh, usually these IOS sales are kind of fast <laughs> it probably will be at the normal price by the time it gets posted um but uh yeah but it's 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 probably and it's even worth the five dollar asking price honestly um it's a it's a tactical rpg it's going to feel like a tabletop pen and paper rpg because the battles are being played out uh you know in the tactical uh, manner based on that particular pen and paper game which i've not had the the pleasure of playing so but it caught my eye because i am a big pen and paper fan and I know Call of Cthulhu um, is uh, is another system that uh, that's out there. So it's pretty popular well, as far as pen and paper systems go. And the uh, no. the the iOS game's gotten fairly good reviews. I was gonna say, Phil, even though it's not technically retro news, um, there is that Kickstarter for Class of Heroes two and Class of Heroes, as sort of a <laughs> wizardry type style game. You know, yeah, that... and it's being you know kickstarted by good old Victor Ireland. You know all those working design games that uh, never seem to come out on time. That was just <laughs> such a. Was that... it now, precious? Now, Sam, you're only oh. saying that because he established a habit of promising something that took a year to deliver. You know what? I don't trust Vic with my money as much as I would love to support JRPGs. This is not exactly the first choice I had in mind. Um. Like, I wish I could say I was interested in this game. I'm not. I'm sure, like, there was a lot of limited options in terms of what they could pick as their sort of startup project, which is a shame, but, you know, they have to establish themselves in some way. But this actual Kickstarter thing is just, you know, I'm very kind of disappointed with how it's being handled and how there's this expectation that, you know, oh, if you love JRPGs, you should be supporting this. Well... You know, make those tiers worth my donate, like my donation. Didn't I think it's Vic, kind of sad. Didn't oh, Vic sorry, uh, spout off loudly that Xseed was doing a terrible job with Silver Star Harmony's translation or something like that? Oh God, yes. He he thought that it was the worst thing since sliced bread. He can be, you know, he's a very unprofessional person at times. While very passionate about the games that he puts out, he has no problem seeming to open his mouth and just bash somebody else. Which I don't that's, think is right. That's not the best strategy for remaining a successful businessman. It I think kind he of was alienates just people who might be partners. Well, unfortunately, I think, you know, poor Vic there just kind of had his panties in a twist because Vex <laughs> kind of told him pretty much that, no, you can't work on this game with us. Because he did offer his help, and they were kind of like, no, we want to do it our way. And <laughs> you know what? For the better, you know, yes, there's not as many crazy 
you know, pop culture references and whatever, but I thought XU did a solid job. Is it perfect? And then again, with the original version of Eternal Blue, you get a joke about President Clinton. (laughs) But that's what I mean. Um, You know, we praise working design's localizations, and yet, thinking back on them, some of them are kind of a train wreck, considering some of the references they make. Like, I'm sorry, but Bill Clinton has no place in my RPGs. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's even an unfavorable reference to Clinton, which really dates it, because that's... Who thinks unfavorably of Bill Clinton now, except really, really nasty conservatives who never forgave him for winning? Hey! No, I'm just kidding. Um, so, were you voting for him, Phil? I don't think you were. I don't vote for anybody. I'm bad. <laughs> um, let's, Neither was I, but I was too young. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so, I, I will not speak ill, obviously, of the people who are kickstarting to this, because on one hand, you know, I want to see more JRPGs. Do I want to see Class of Heroes 2? Hell no. But I am sure there are people like Glenn. Yeah, Glenn actually all likes over this. Plot. Yes, but he doesn't like how it's being handled either. <laughs> so, I mean, if you actually ask him, he, he'll tell you that just it's a joke. Yeah, it was it, and 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 if you if y'all want to hear more, the RPG cast went into this. I just listened to it today. Went into this into detail, but it, it was it just sounded like it was handled so so bloody poorly. Um, well, I'm sorry, Phil, but when your five dollar tier is, you get a thank you note printed <laughs> on paper. That's just dickish. I don't care what anyone says. That's just sad. When you really need, like, a $30 tier for just a digital copy of the game. Because you know how fast people would kickstart your game if you were actually offering them a copy of your product. Mm-hmm. I don't think, for an example, just getting a CD is enough. You know, the reason why the Wasteland 2-1 was so successful was because of the fact that for 15 bucks you were getting a digital copy of that game. Mm-hmm. And you know how fast people jumped in on that. Yeah, that's the way to do like, it. Like, I mean... You have to make it worth people's while. And unfortunately, I think Vic really, you know, he missed the ball on this one. And to be honest, I think asking, you know, $500,000 is a ridiculous amount. Yeah, yeah. To For what is going to be 7, seven you know, K in terms of like these collector's editions. Mm-hmm. I just, I don't understand where he made this magical number up. And he's trying to justify it with, like, better localization, um, English voices. Most people who are JRPG fans don't give a crap about English voice acting. The only thing they care about is, can they play the game, does the text make sense, and am I having fun? Yeah, especially in a dungeon <laughs> crawler of all things. It's not, uh, it's it's just, it's, yeah, it, it's not going to make or break your experience by any stretch of the imagination. No, exactly. So I think some of the things he's asking for are just a little bit much. Yeah. You know, I wish him all the best in his success, but, you know, you have to draw the line somewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see here. In looking at some of the um, GOG releases, we have Anna uh, Anachronix. Anachronics? Boy, I can slaughter these names. Uh, this is this was an RPG that 
Um, totally went under my radar. It's it says it's an RPG slash action slash the sci-fi. I see screenshots. I see party members. I see them uh, in a fight. It looks kind of uh, westerny uh, RPG-ish. Uh, I would love to hear something from anybody who's actually played this. <laughs> By all means, post on our boards at board.rpgamer.com <laughs> or call us at 801-810-5597. Leave us a message. And if you play this game, tell us. I the the there's 367 reviews on GOG for an average of five out of five stars. So, uh, yeah, that that would be something else. Um, I can't believe that I let a 2001 RPG that was just that good pass underneath Slip my, away. my radar. Yeah, how did I let that happen? But now I now I can go back and correct that mistake by buying it off of GOG for, uh, let's see, five ninety nine or For $6 reduce. Or I can just wait for the inevitable Thanksgiving sale and <laughs> get it for three two ninety nine. Uh, no, I have to deal with the man who lives in my house who is beyond thrilled that this game ended up on GOG and has he? been screaming like a little girl. It's one of his oh, favorite games. We'll tell him to call in and <laughs> tell us why he loves it so much. I'm serious. Convince I think he's actually going to be here one next day. time, actually. <laughs> you can ask him next time. It's yeah. one of his favorites. He's a, but he's a big Ion Storm nut. He really, really loves Ion Storm. Now another one, and it, it, you know, I don't, I don't think this technically falls under RPG, but it's close enough in my books because I played it. And uh, is Robin Hood: The Legend of Sherwood? It's a, it's an older uh, tactical uh, style game, uh, strategy tactical game, but you're you're controlling a party of like Robin Hood and his merry men, trying to get through some uh, highly tactical situations. But it plays a lot, in my opinion, like Baldur's Gate. You're not gonna, I don't remember gaining levels or anything like that, but there was a story that carried, you know, carried each scenario one to the other, and uh, and skills that you have to use and the such. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, technically it's not an RPG, but it plays enough like a lot of the ones I've played. Uh, it's really, it's, it'll really make you think. And, uh, and, and for something made by Spellbound Entertainment, it's actually pretty good. Gets an average of 4.5 from 82 users on GOG, so you might want to check that out. I still got the disc to that, that's how good it is. So, I think that's it for all of our old news. Let's talk about uh, what we're playing now, or pimpage, or something you want to pimp, what you're doing on the website. Mr. Minky, anything you want to pimp today? Well, I put up a magical vacation review yesterday that more or less says what I went into at some greater length on the podcast here, and I'll have a magical star sign review up very, very soon. I'll just hope for a second proofer, and then we'll be ready to go. And aside from those two games, I have not been playing anything else, but that will change in the very near future. To what? I'm not quite sure yet. Mm. And that leaves... Again, I I can't talk about everything I watched because then people just fall asleep. We know this. Unless, of course, I've had a six-pack of beer beforehand, and then I'll just go off at length. Or that and, old wine. Holy cow. <laughs> hey, my grandparents don't drink wine anymore, and I was happy to take a few bottles off their hands. And my grandfather's now in a home. Anyway. Yeah. Um, I watched Eraserhead. And anybody who knows what the lore of that movie is can empathize. That is one weird, weird movie. It's very much like a filmed nightmare. Don't expect it to make sense. It won't. It's disturbing. It's frightening in places. And David Lynch has never said exactly what it means so that you have to analyze it for yourself and figure out Okay, what does the lady in the radiator mean? 
Why does the baby look like a salamander with a pig snout? Why is the lady in the radiator stepping on gigantic spermatozoa? I don't know. I don't even think I want to know. And I watched The Towering Inferno. I don't even know why I watched it. Probably because of the people in it. But it's an Irwin Allen disaster movie, and anybody who knows what that means, well, that's exactly what you'd expect. I like the San Francisco location shot because I like seeing San Francisco, and I like seeing the stuntmen do their jobs because this was back when you needed... There was, was no CG, so those are actual people on fire running around in the 135-story tower. But the story, well, it's stupid. Why is Robert Vaughn there? I don't know. So he can die. He doesn't do anything. Why is Faye Dunaway there? So she can be Paul Newman's girlfriend. That's all she does. Mm-hmm. Why is Steve McQueen there? Um, well, he's Steve McQueen, so he's cool, but he's still just the fire chief. He doesn't have anything really to do. Ah, it's a disaster movie. And it goes on for two hours and 45 minutes, which is way too long. And I'll just give a shout-out to Only Angels Have Wings, which might be my favorite Howard Hawks movie and one of my favorite Cary Grant movies. And it's not too well-known, at least not among the people I read. But see it if you want to see a great story of Cary Grant leading a pilot program on uh, the Caribbean island of Barranca that tries to get the mail out. It's alternately funny and poignant. The characters are great. Cinematography is great. It's got lots of actors I love. I love Gene Arthur. I love Thomas Mitchell. This is one of Rita Hayworth's first movies. See it sometime. I don't know if it'll become one of your favorites, but it sure is one of mine. I don't even know why. It just is. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. What about you, Miss Sam? I admittedly have not been doing anything for RP Gamer lately, and that's just because I've been really busy with my personal life. Um, you know, I take care of my mother. She's sick with cancer, so, you know, my days are taking care of her, going to school, and going to work. So, I mean, I haven't really had any time to engross myself in any sort of review material, but that's going to change probably within April when I'll actually have some time to play some games. Um, mostly I've just kind of been relaxing with, uh, Tales of the Abyss 3DS, which if you've played Tales of the Abyss on PS2, you do not need to play the 3DS version. That's a waste of money. Don't do that to yourself. Um, it's still a great game by all means. It's just, they didn't do anything to enhance this 3DS version. So there's not much to it. Still great story. Great cast of characters. I'm still enjoying my time with it. Uh, I am actually going to be reviewing uh, Yakuza Dead Souls for the site, though. Oh, jeez. This is the um, game that you initially told Mac to take off coverage, and yes, then you played it and said, unfortunately, uh, <laughs> yeah, this game is weird because um, Sega was completely promoting it as a third-person shooter, which makes sense because of the fact that, you know, it's you flee from zombies, you shoot them in the head, the usual. Except that they kept all the RPG elements from the Yakuza games... In Dead Souls. So, with the way it was being advertised, it was incredibly misleading to think that the RPG elements from, you know, the main series would actually be in there. To be honest, the story is really cool. The characters are still just as fun. There's a great sense of humor. The controls, because, you know, it's a shooter and Amusement Vision is not really known for shooters until recently when they did Binary Domain. Um, They are a little awkward. For example, shooting is with R1, not R2, so it's not the trigger buttons in the back. 
So that took a bit of getting used to. But overall, I'm having a lot of fun. Is it going to get a high score for me? Probably not. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, because it does have some problems, um, some actual technical problems compared to some of the other Yakuza games. Like, this game is not as polished as some of the other ones that are on the PS3. So, go back. Um, and, yeah, that's, I think, probably what I'm next to do on tap, plus a feature I've been working on for the past month and a half, which I really don't want to talk about because it'll just spoil the spoil fun it. of it going up. So... Just know that if you know anything about me, you know I like my books. So keep that in mind, and maybe that's a hint for what you'll get to see within the next month or so. Okay. Well, um, <laughs> I have to, uh, <coughs> excuse me, scare, uh, scare, share your confession as far as I haven't really done a whole lot of RP gaming uh, lately, been just super, super uh, busy. I was preparing for uh, Rise of the Rune Lords uh, Pathfinder campaign, and that kind of fell through um, the local group. Uh, so it seems to be much easier to organize and get people together for pen and paper role-playing games online, which is ironic since you don't use pen and paper a whole lot when you're playing these uh, RPGs online. Uh, we use uh, virtual tabletop software. But um, uh, I have been spending a little too much guilty time with my... Uh, uh, time guiltily whatever uh, with my ipad and um i haven't been playing too many rpgs on it though i've been playing a lot of strategy games i've i I haven't had uh the pc got away from pure rts genre a a long time ago kind of went the way of league of legends and the such outside of star you know starcraft which was awesome and i tore through that but there's a lot of cute little strategy games on the ipad so i've been playing some of those um and uh, and still working on Strange Journey on my DS. So that's going to be some time. Because as anybody who's played Shimigami Tensei games know, they're, they're, they're always a, a time sinks. They're huge. Uh, it's really cool, though. I'm in a third dungeon on that one now, and it's a big shopping mall. And that is just so awesome. The little people on escalators in the background. And uh, the, the doors, instead of being these wooden dungeon doors, they're glass sliding glass doors. Uh, it's it's really really cute. Um, so um, I really don't like the room though where there's I'm in this uh, on the second floor and there's this room where there's completely no lights and you're walking in the dark and the auto map doesn't work. <sighs> I'll never figure out that. It just start reminding me of Dark Souls, uh, Mr. Minky. Remember those dark Dark-spire? rooms? Oh, Dark, dark Spire. Spire. Yeah, Dark Spire. I mean, yeah. Remember those rooms? Uh, yes, I remember needing to search every square. Every square. Oh my gosh. And then even when you find things, you don't necessarily know what you're supposed to do with them. So you got to go wander around and maybe, oh, now I have to go back there after I found this other thing. What does it do? I don't know, but maybe it'll do something there. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's evil. Evil. <sighs> so, uh, yeah, that's pretty much it for me, I think. I'm obviously very excited with Xenoblade, but that wouldn't be an old game. Well, it is kind of a... It would be a backtrackable game because it came out a long time ago. We just didn't get here in North America. <laughs> so. It came out last August. That's not really a long time. Yeah, it's a long time back. when you're waiting for it, okay? It feels like <laughs> forever. <sighs> okay, I will not fight with you on that I think, one. I think Phil is remembering all the Christmases he had as a kid, yeah. Sam. Can't, can't you empathize? 
No, what's really funny is I'm kind of acting out. I do have friends who are like that. I had this one friend tell me he was waiting for it for four years. I'm like, what, did you see an E3 trailer four years ago or something? And Yeah, I made the mistake of suggesting that maybe we could play the game together at the same pace, which means he would have to wait for me because I don't get more than 10 hours a week to, to spend on gaming. And, uh, and and he does more like 40. There's no way I'm waiting wait four years for this game. All right, man, sorry I asked. <laughs> All right. It's kind of like a TV show. It's no fun if you're already five episodes ahead, so you just go on and don't tell me anything. Don't talk to me about it. All right. So, cool beans. All right. Well, Sam, thank you for being on the show tonight once again. No problem. So it is very much past my bedtime. It is. So we need to wrap this up with our usual legalese. RPG Backtrack is a production of RP Gamer, your source for RPG news, impressions, reviews, articles, and home to the best gaming community on the net. Write your questions and comments on our boards or email jcserver at rpgamer.com. And, of course, you can always call us at 801-810-5597 and help shape our future shows and help tell everybody what they should and should not buy. When it comes to retro RP gaming. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter.com slash RPGamer. Become our biggest fans at Facebook.com slash RPGamer. And as always, listen to our previous podcast as well as our awesome sister show, RPG Cast, all at RPGamer.com. And uh, leave us some good comments on iTunes. But, um, you know, if you leave us any constructive criticism, Sam says we're just going to ignore you anyway. So just say good things. Like we're doing a great job. Oh, no. It's all for you guys. I'm just... I'm Sam, and I do my own thing. I'm a rebel. I'm a rebel, too. RPG Backtrack's a rebel because we're talking about old games and everyone's rushing out to buy the newest thing that's out there. That's well, you're rebellious. You're a rebel with a cause. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Mr. Minky, give us a cause to go home and go to bed. Well, I don't know about going to bed. We just talked about games where you were catching gummy worms all over the place and then eating them. I don't know about you people, but... I don't go to bed easily after I've eaten a whole bunch of gummy worms. If you do, though, feel free. And wonder Yay why bed. gummy frogs are not in any store I've ever seen. Yay, bed. <laughs> Yay, and there bed. Is gummy fr- and there is gummy frogs. I've eaten them before. They're delicious. I don't see any. I see these gummy peaches. I see gummy butterflies. I see gummy sour balls. But I don't see any gummy frogs. Maybe I'll have to mail you some. Yeah, maybe you've got some at home. Gummy tell you. frogs hopping here and there. These are the gummy bears. These are the gummy bears. Good night, everybody. Not, I hadn't thought that show in 15 years, and a friend pulled it up on YouTube. There's a reason why. Oh, actually, you know, real funny story that we're going. Um, I, I I looked that song up on YouTube about four or five years ago. The wife was just getting up. She was walking out. She's expecting me to make breakfast and whatever have you, but. I said, hey, I, I need you to look at this on the computer sounding real serious and stuff. And then I you know, I played that and start coming out of the speaker all of a sudden. And she's like listening really carefully trying to figure out what the hell it is at first. And then just cracks up laughing. <laughs> the Gummy Bear song, really? <laughs> yeah, that was hilarious. All right. Um, Good night, Sam. Good night, everybody. Good night, everyone. Try to be best because you're only a man. And a man's got to learn to take it. Try to believe though the